Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Friday, September 13th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's all things last night's Democratic debate and pre-show and post-show featuring Mayor Rahm Emanuel. It's another Ramana Rundown with Sun-Times editor Ramana Hussein. Senator Robert Martwick returns, and it's the Benny J Show debut of Vaughn Bryant and Frank Perez. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this debate night Friday. And here's why. I'll tell you why, because last night's was the debates. Big, <laughs> big moment in the Ben Jarofsky show, all right? We love debates in the Ben Jarofsky show. We are really obsessed with this Democratic battle for uh, the nomination to go up against Donald John Trump, take back this country from the lunacy that it is currently in. And so as a result, we have some winners and losers, D, all right? Actually, nothing but winners for uh, the start of the show. Just to start with some winners. Let's just concentrate with winners. Glass half full. Yeah. Uh, number one winner? Me, yeah, oh, oh, really, me. you, I, yeah. I got to watch the debate. Oh, if lucky you recall, you. yesterday was my uh, wedding anniversary. So, uh oh, debate and wedding anniversary. Most wedding anniversaries, you go out for a romantic dinner, <laughs> drink a little wine, eat a little meat, whatever. But, uh, honey, please, can we watch the debates? I got the best wife in the world, Dee. Not only did she uh, watch the debate with me, made a delicious dinner. How about that? So, anyway, I am the first winner because I got to watch the debate. And you know what? Folks, you youngsters out there, all right, you're thinking about getting married and settling for 37 years of wedded bliss. Let me remind you about your wedding vows and in health, sickness, and presidential debates. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Health, sickness, and presidential debates. Those are the vows. You took those vows. You got to stand by those vows. Winner number two, whoops, the Ben Jarofsky Show. Why do I say we're winner number two, D? Because ABC and its infinite wisdom has decided to hire Rahm Emanuel as a commentator. That's great. (laughs) Thank you, ABC. We were looking for some content. Oh, my God. Who thought that was a good idea? I know. He's the most unlikable man in American politics. Let's bring him on, boss. Anyway, Rom Rom was in rare form last night. I know D was uh, collecting a whole bunch of Rom nuggets. So winner number two is the Ben Yes, I was collecting Rom nuggets, everybody. Winner number three, Jolton Joe Biden. I know what you're saying, America. You're saying, huh? Well, maybe not a lot of people. Like a lot of people like Joe Biden. Yeah, you're right. Here's the deal, folks. Joe Biden uh, is 
heading down the road. <laughs> I don't know where he's heading down the road, but he comes off a little, you know, I could say this because I'm old. All right. Now, this I'm going to get into something right here. All right. This is like categories. You know, uh, I could say because I'm old. A lot of you youngsters out there making fun of Joe Biden because he's just rambling all over the place. You can't do it because you're young. All right. D, you can't do it. You're millennial. But I'm old, so I can do it. Joe, where were you going last night? Good God. Joe was like driving down the street, turn left, turn right. Uh-oh. Where am I? That yeah. one bit he did on the record player. By the way, it's a funny thing. He was on this rambling bit, folks. I could read it to you, but I'm not going to bother reading to you because it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. Ben's candidate, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> He was trying to talk about how you should read to your kid at night, all right? Then he got he? A, I think so. You know, and so now every millennial in America is making fun of him because he said record player. Oh, my God, record player. <laughs> how many millennials? Always- I don't think it was the record player part they're laughing at. I think it's the, oh, yeah? the muttering. Go go take a look what's trending on Twitter. Record player. Oh, he referred to a record player. And then like a rotary phone. Oh, the old guy. Huh? Anyway, everybody's making fun of Joe. But let me just tell you something, America. Tell them. And I say this from experience, having covered Chicago politics for a long time. American voters love senile old white guys. D, it's true, okay? <laughs> I mean, I wrestled with this for years and years. Uh, city uh, Voters in the city of Chicago. I mean, I'm warming up to this. Turn the radio. <laughs> make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. Yeah, I like it. I'm starting <laughs> to like him. You're right. <laughs> it kind of wears on you. You know, I like the illusion to the record player. I love record players. Back in the day, D, I used to have a record player with 45s. You know what a 45 is, D? That's a little record, okay? The, like the Beatles, little record, just like one song. And, ah, forget it. Yeah, these youngsters today, ladies and gentlemen, they don't know anything. Anyway, where was I going? Oh, yes, the city of Chicago, year after year, elected Mayor Richard M. Daley as their mayor. They'd still be electing him if he decided to run. He said, ah, I'm hell with this job. And the voters like, why? We'll reelect you. We'll keep reelecting you. They, we just, boom, we see that name, boom, we'll go for you daily was as confusing and baffling as biden daily would start saying something where's ken davis when i need him the great kenny d would we, this is one of our favorite conversations like interpreting things that richard m daily is saying where's he going with that he would go off on these uh winding tangential diversions d where i i he, like he would be talking about a garden he would be talking about a street he'd be talking about a tree and the conclusion Chicago's would take from that is he loves Chicago. I'll vote for him again. So I think uh, Joe Biden was a winner last night because most Americans just t- took a look at him and listened to what he was saying and said, you know what? I think he likes America. I'm voting for Joe Biden. So Joe that's... Biden, you're the winner. What do you have to say about that? Play the radio. Huh? Make sure the television, <laughs> excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. Huh? The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. Make sure the kids hear words? Make sure the kids hear words okay <laughs> my, my goodness I, I who's his speech writer richard m daly i think that's who writes his speeches richard m daly anyway another winner last night willie wilson you say why willie wilson wasn't in this so weird list you're doing today <laughs> willie wilson we need to have pre-show meetings on these intros uh willie wilson wasn't even in debate that's a good point you raised d but apparently andrew yang has been studying the william wilson playbook as you recall willie wilson when he's running for mayor was giving away money so people could pay what they wanted to pay their you were late with your mortgage payment here was helping with your mortgage payment you're you can't pay you don't have enough money to pay your property taxes here's money for your property taxes you can't pay the gas bill the electric bill you remember he was giving out money 
WWED. Remember that? And he was criticized by all the, the goo-goos in Chicago. I am outraged that you would do that. That's like bribery. <laughs> Why? You know, it's, uh, hey, finally a voter gets something from a politician. I, I never jumped on that uh, blasting Willie Wilson bandwagon. Uh, but uh, anyway, so, but apparently Andrew Yang is studying the masters. Joe Biden is studying Richard M. Daly's speech habits, and that's what he, who's he emulating. Uh, Andrew Yang was studying Willie Wilson. He was offering a freedom bond, right? Oh, no, a freedom dividend last night. What was it, $1,000, D? That, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. A thousand bucks. Just all you got to do is go to my website, sign up. I'm like, what? A blade? That's straight out of Willie Wilson's playbook. And I mean, I went to the website and signed up. It did, worked on me. I won $1,000. Wait, did you get the money yet? No. All right. Well, he's going to be waiting a long I know time. my Yang bucks. Hey, I'm going to say this. The, Willie Wilson's old school. He would say, I'm going to be at uh, a certain place at a certain time. I'm going to be handing out cash. All right. Andrew Yang, it's so typical, man. That's the difference between a millennial and a baby boomer, right? Andrew Yang's, you got to go on the internet. You got to give him your private information that he's probably going to use to send you fundraising appeals and all kinds of things uh, that you don't want or ask for. And then maybe he'll send you the money. Willie Wilson's going to give you the money, D. You know what? I'll take Willie Wilson over Andrew Yang any day of the week. Finally, another winner in the show. The most coveted winners of all. Who's Kool-Aid am I currently drinking? Remember we were talking about yeah. that yesterday? Everybody's wondering. <laughs> Facebook, Twitter's blowing up. Uh, yeah, as you recall, folks, I've been all over the map uh, in this presidential race. For a moment, I was on the Kamala Harris uh, bandwagon, remember that deal? I was drinking the Kamala Kool Aid. Before that, you were drinking the Biden Kool Aid. <laughs> Let's don't try to get out of that one, dude. Oh, I'm always drinking the Joe Biden Kool Aid. I like Joe Biden. All right, I like record players. All right, uh, and uh, so anyway, I right now number one Kool Aid that I am drinking is the Bernie Kool Aid. All kidding aside, folks, Bernie Sanders is the real deal. All right. He's just like, he's not afraid to stick with his issues, with his passion, with his values. The whole country could be going right. He's sticking where he's always been. He has, hasn't changed a bit D since 1971. Or whatever. Hairdo and all. Hairdo and all. He is the most unconventional presidential candidate I've ever seen. He's a wild man. And uh, so, you know what? I'm drinking the Bernie Kool-Aid. Hold on. Delicious. Uh, I'm also drinking the Elizabeth Warren Kool-Aid. I like Elizabeth Warren a lot. So uh, right now, Bernie's my number one candidate. Elizabeth Warren is my number two. But you know what, D? You know how I am. Like a flag in the breeze. I could be going a different way next week. And I also have three minor candidates that whose Kool-Aid I'm drinking. Uh, Beto O'Rourke. I thought he did okay last night. Uh, Castro, even though he was ageist. Uh, I liked how, I like, kind of like him. He's kind of smooth. Uh, and Kamala uh, falling down. But I'm still loyal to Kamala. I'm not quite sure why. Me uh, either. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't know why I still like Kamala. Anyway, uh, but my big uh, Kool-Aid, a sip of Kool-Aid is for Bernie Sanders, uh, followed by Elizabeth Warren. Anyway, and finally, the, the big time winners of all time of last night's debate are the listeners and watchers of the Ben Jarofsky Show, because we have a ton of material that we're going to be uh, diving into all day long. Uh, not only do we have outstanding guests, Ramana Hussein will be here, uh, Vaughn Bryan and Frank Perez from Partners for Safe and Peaceful Communities will be here. We talk about uh, community violence in the city of Chicago. State Senator Rob Martwick will be here. Uh, we'll be talking about the debate, state politics, local politics. But as a bonus feature, uh, Dr. D said, we're going to go live with a bonus. We've never done this before, have we, D? 
done it one other time. Oh, did we? Oh, okay. <laughs> did, I didn't see the memo. Uh, who did we it do? It was the last one, the last debate that we did. Oh, <laughs> you know, that's why we need these pre-show meetings. Okay. So I don't say things like that. Uh, yeah. Did I ever tell you about my favorite record player? Um, anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, and how's your dryer doing, by the way? My dr- you know what? That's really nice of you to ask. The dryer, we had to take it from one plug and put it in another plug, and it worked. All right. Oh, wow. Uh, Latisa Wallace. Yeah, it's like a modern day Bob Vila. Yes, it's me. I gotta, uh, or like Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Remember when he put the uh, tool belt on? Still talking about that movie, huh? Yeah, I've only seen it three times. <laughs> okay. Uh, but let's see, let's see what uh, Latisa Wallace and Samina Mustafa have to say about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, huh? No, they'll be here at about quarter to five. Uh, we're going to do a bonus feature talking about the debate, break the debate down, uh, get their thoughts. Uh, Samina and Latisa, two outstanding progressives in the state of Illinois, and I uh, can't wait to hear what they have to say about the debate, the state of the Democratic Party, the state of the election, what's the best way to beat Donald John Trump, and all other things that may fall in their mind, including, including, I may ask Latisa Wallace what she thinks about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Oh, by the way, and don't get Samina Mustafa talking about Dave Chappelle. All right. Well, I may ask her. I was going to say, Dave. you're going to do that, aren't you? You're going to get her talking <laughs> about Dave Chappelle. Uh, Samina's got some interesting things to say about Dave, Dave Chappelle. Anyway, that's not for another three hours or so. But so before we do that, the young man from Alton, Illinois, the one they call the doctor with the news. You're the only one who calls me that. How's it going, everybody? I'm Dennis. Uh, we're on YouTube now, by the way, guys. Ooh. Sorry about that. We're now live on YouTube. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. bad. Been a little busy today. Some pre-show, uh, pre-show audio. prep, pre-show prep. Been doing some pre-show prep. Yes, sir. All right, it's the middle of the final day of the week. Let's talk about what's going on in Illinois and or Chicago this afternoon. All right, we're not just going to be debate heavy. All right, we we do local news and we're going to stick to that. And holy crap, what about that performance from Mayor Rahm last night at the ABC debates? We're going to get to that in a moment. But first, <laughs> but first, Mayor all right. <laughs> But first, oh, thank you, ABC. I was watching the debates and he showed up on TV. Like, oh, <laughs> what a gift that the world has given us. Oh, more God. Mayor Rom. Just what we need. More Mayor Rom. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, what a character. All right. But no public events scheduled for our Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker mm. today, nor Lori Lightfoot. Yeah, well, resting up from the debates. OK, J.B. Pritzker's at home taking care of that femur. Mm-hmm. But Mr. Pritzker, it's all good, Captain. In fact, you can go ahead and jump out of the cockpit and kick that leg up in the back because your Democratic colleagues are at the yoke. That's what you call a... A wheel of a plane, a yoke. Did you know that? I did not know that. Did you learn that at radio school? I, I've learned. I've known that in a while, actually. Okay. But your Democratic colleagues are at the yoke, and they are indeed flying high. Now, in case you didn't know, recreational marijuana or cannabis will be legal in the state of Illinois in the near future, January first, twenty twenty. And while people like me are only thinking about how much money I'm going to lose in the, all this uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. weed, yeah, there's some true. Illinois executives out there foaming at the mouth <laughs> thinking oh, yeah. about all the money that they can make. I know. Mm. The following comes from the Illinois Politico uh, people there and one Shia Kapos. The Executives Club of Chicago held a panel discussion on Thursday to talk about pot. Mm. And according to Illinois Politico, subscribe to Illinois Politico, by the way, it's a great source for local news. According to Illinois Politico, about 175 people showed up to the discussion. Industry panelists and attendees included Wanda James, the first African-American woman to own a marijuana dispensary in Colorado. Stormy Simon, badass name right there, Stormy Simon, who sits on the board of High Times. Mm-hmm. One of your favorite publications. <laughs> yeah, get it every month. Every, every month. Grassroots CEO Mitch Kahn, and of course, president of the panel discussion, Illinois State Rep. 
badass and dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky show, one Kelly Cassidy. Casey. Discussion, uh, discussion points included jobs, racial equality, restorative justice, and the slow process to get the cannabis industry up and running at full speed. Mitch Kahn predicted it would take two years. But Cassidy said five years. And here's why we love Kelly Cassidy. Cassidy said, quote, takes time for people to break up with their weed guy. <laughs> Did Kelly really say that? Yeah. Uh, she's funny, man. <laughs> now, I, I, she's off the reservation. She does whatever she wants these days. I get why that's funny, but I have actually have uh, I've been concerned about this issue. Uh, I know ever, you have. Ever since this whole thing's been going down. Uh -huh. So, Ben, if I could take a moment to directly talk with my weed dealer. Absolutely. You Fantastic. Know, Thank take you. that opportunity. He's a big right. listener. He loves the show. Hey, weed man, <laughs> listen, I want you to know, I'm not going anywhere. The hell with this law. What we have is more special than some bill. <laughs> I don't mind going to the ATM, and hey, I enjoy our 45-second conversations in your car. Kind of <laughs> awkward, but I like it. It's Does he come right up to the door? I just go in his car. Oh, I see. It's you and me until the end, good sir. See you next week. I'm sure he appreciates that. Uh, but, you know, uh, listen. I've been advocating the legalization of marijuana for many, many, many years, uh, and basically because it's unfairly, the law was uh, uh, unfairly uh, used so that black people got arrested and white people got to smoke their reefer. Uh, so I thought that was really unfair and contradictory and hypocritical, et cetera, et cetera. Now it's legal. And, uh, you know, I, I can't say I really like what's going on, D. You know what I'm saying? It's so clearly, obviously, taken over by corporate America, and so they're going to be making lots of money. And little guys, like your pal Reefer Man, or whatever his name yeah, is. don't say his name. I don't know his name, so I can't say his name. Billy Bob, whatever his name is, uh, are getting put out of business. So I kind of feel sorry for those guys. They're entrepreneurs. They're hustlers, yeah. you know. Uh, what's that dude's name down in St. Louis area that made oh, the cookies? Yeah, I <laughs> remember him? He was the Cookie Man. Cookie Man. And then Sold there's... weed cookies. And then there's that other guy whose name I won't uh, use, but you and I both know him. I, I affectionately refer to him as Big Boy. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, Oppo, that guy. I uh, wonder how he's going to do uh, in this new age. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, small-time weed dealers and, uh, you know, small-time entrepreneurs, and they're going to get uh, kicked out of business and corporate America's taken over. I don't know if that's progress, D, but at least it's better than locking up black people for something that white people do every day. Kelly Cassidy then commented and gave an even cooler quote. <laughs> Remember, it's Kelly Cassidy and Senator Heather Staines who have been putting in the hard work on this, and they've been given the nickname uh, throughout the year, the Marijuana Moms, okay. all right? Yeah. Kelly Cassidy said, quote, we were dubbed the Marijuana Moms, but we're so much more, she said, adding that they instead should be called... And Ben, please do not get comfortable saying this. The canna bitches. Casey said that? Casey said man, that. Casey's on a roll. Why would I, I make said, that up? Yeah, no, uh, Kelly Cassidy, man. She's <laughs> one of a kind. And uh, she, uh, what did the Sun-Times call her? Wonder Woman? Remember was that the headline? Wonder Woman? Kelly Cassidy was a uh, rather, un, well, relatively obscure North Side legislator, state representative from the Rogers Park, Edgewater area. And uh, in the last couple of years or so, uh, she took the lead on the effort to legalize and as such, she's become one of the most popular politicians in the state of Illinois. So, uh, you know what, uh, D, I'd like to say this. We here at the Ben Jarofsky Show were big fans of Kelly Cassidy long before it was fashion. And weed! <laughs> well, yeah, we've been there since oh. uh, been 1970s for me. Speaking of, my weed man just got back to me. Oh, uh, hold on. Let me read what he said. Yeah. I love you, man. <laughs> oh, that's nice. 
Yeah, you know, it's like how funny all the people now who openly smoking weed were doing it subvertly, you know, back in the, like 2008. They wouldn't even talk about a bit. Don't ask me any questions about marijuana, okay? That's off. It's like a, um, a Kim Fox interview, right, D? You know, you get some uh, people coming to the studio, Ben, no questions about Kim Fox. Well, back in the day, it was Ben, no questions about legalizing marijuana. All right, everybody, it's safe. You come out of hiding now. All right, so that's what's going on statewide. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, let's talk about this debate. Mainly, let's talk about former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel's appearance on this. He's he's for sure working for ABC. That's yes. for sure. Yes, he is. I thought, it was, I thought it was just like an appearance uh, last Sunday, but no, yeah, yeah. He's got the gig, and he's on there Wait, a while. Wait, I didn't see him. Did you actually see him? I, I just heard his voice. Last night? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, was all over. Was he like wearing a ABC blazer? No, no, not yet. Remember not in yet. the old days? This is way before your time. ABC used to uh, do... No, I, I, I remember this? <laughs> I, you won't, but do you remember? Monday Night TV? Monday night, t- uh, Monday football. night football on uh, ABC TV. Howard Cosell. Speaking of sports, they used to wear blazers. Remember that, D? Mm-hmm. When, in your time, did they still? They, they I used- remember the blazers. Okay, so did Rom wear a blazer? No, they didn't give him a blazer. <laughs> no. Rom should be. Hey, Rom, come on, get your brother on the phone. Hey, I want a blazer, just like Howard Cosell. All right, all right. Enough of blazer gate. We got clips to play here. First, we're gonna play Rom's highlights from the debate pre-show. Oh, okay, he was I, featured in the pre-show I with the panel. Pre-show. I know you missed it. I'm, I'm glad you missed. Because we were in a train coming home on the pre-show. Remember that, D? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So we learned one thing from Rom's appearance last night. He's for sure ABC's Biden go-to guy. Okay. He's their guy for Biden, Uh, all right? All right. All right, so let's go ahead. and. Oh, here's ABC's Tom Yamas with uh, Mm -hmm. kind of a gross question to Rom, if you ask me. If he were in Joe Biden's ear... (laughs) Well, I think it's metaphorically, but whatever. What would he say? I want to start with Rahm Emanuel, the former mayor of Chicago, chief of staff to President Obama, and someone who knows Vice President Biden very well. If you're in his ear tonight, what are you telling him? Energy, passion, Uh, and you got to come alive in that area, and be also light about it, in the sense that you're going to be between uh, Bernie and you're going to be between Elizabeth. They're going to tag team you, and if you can show that it doesn't get to you, that will be as much as uh, anything. But remember, this is three hours. You got to be, you have to have that energy and that impact all three hours not the first two so that would be it oh wow there you go energy high energy i think joe was taking his advice particularly at the end of the debate when he went on that great riff and started talking about record players uh but uh yeah that's pretty conventional wisdom and it looked energetic even if nobody knows what you're talking about uh, that did well for rom by the way rom remember in the old days when rom would start talking about city finances and start babbling on about uh, how he was able to bring down the deficit with all his uh, his uh, swaps and his corporate deals on lending and nobody knew what he was talking about but that sounds good so let's move on so take Taking advice from Rahm Emanuel, Joe Biden was more energetic. Thank you, Rahm. Up next in his rebuttal to ABC's Yvette Simpson, Rahm reminded us of two things. One, he's not a progressive. And two, he's smart. You're not. You know, I think progressives are really where the energy is right now. And I think if you can expand the electorate, which is what we saw in 08, bringing out new voters, particularly brown and black voters, young voters, energize the base where you don't have to change your message much, right? Just go out and get those voters excited. We can win. Hold on, Ron. I saw you shaking your head real quick. What's the rebuttal here? Well, first of all, Donald Trump is going to do a great job turning out our vote. And in 08, as well as in 92, 96, and in 12, is because both Bill Clinton and Barack Obama brought other people not just people in the party, other people to the party. Yeah, you vet. Yeah. <laughs> 
You know, that's it's so funny. Uh, Rahm wants Joe Biden more energetic, but he doesn't want Democratic voters energetic. OK, so he's banking on uh, Democratic voters. This is classic Rahm Clinton strategy that uh, they've been employing since the uh, 1992 presidential election. They're banking on Democratic voters to showing up despite whatever the Democratic candidate is espousing, regardless of whether the Democratic candidate is speaking to people what people really need or not. It's just like, you're going to vote for this Democrat because you have no choice because the Republican is far worse. And then we're going to, you're going to elect someone who's going to sell out your interests as soon as they're elected president. And it doesn't matter uh, whether you're screwed over in the uh, long run because uh, we will be victorious. That is the Rom Clinton strategy. It goes back to 92 and it didn't really work. It only worked in 92 D because Ross Perot was on the ballot, but uh, they never, and he was on the ballot in 96 as well, which guaranteed uh, Bill Clinton's victory. So this is the ROM strategy. He's sticking with the strategy. And frankly, it didn't work in 2016. You remember that? Well, Donald Trump was on that uh, ticket as well, and he was energizing Democratic voters who hated him and were afraid of him. And guess what? Donald Trump's the president of the United States. Somehow or other, the Rahm Emanuels and Bill Clintons of the world have taken a look at the 2016 election and decided to do the same thing. Up next, yep. He's the Biden guy. Rom, Vice President Joe Biden made one of his final moves before the debate starts to show a video of him basically bear-hugging President Obama. Smart move? Why is he I doing think he that? also got a hug back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. But no, yeah, it's a smart move. It's his calling card. It's why he has the strength he has among Democratic voters is because he served with a very, very popular president. It's what surprised me in the last debate when people were throwing the president under the bus. I mean, you have a person who's at 90-some-odd percent popularity with Democrats. That is not a smart strategy. I do agree with Matt. This is going to be about the energy. There's more about a chemistry that you're going to associate. And the closer the candidate can put their own story with the story of where people live their lives, they're going to, the better they're going to be. They're not going to follow all the details about this policy versus that policy. It's about relating and they feeling that they can relate to that candidate and that they understand them where they live their lives. Okay, <laughs> Rom. Uh, it's very important, folks, that you don't pay attention to the specifics of any of their policies, because if you do pay attention to the specifics of the policies, you're probably against them. Like you're pretty much against every policy that Rom uh, drafted when he was mayor of the city of Chicago. I love it. One more time. Be energetic. That's his advice to Joe Biden. Uh, but don't be energetic. That's his advice to the Democratic base. So uh, any Democratic candidate takes advice from Rahm Emanuel. By the way, I also point out that uh, Joe Biden was not the only beneficiary of his tie to Barack Obama. One thing Rahm does know, that Barack Obama can deliver an election. Uh, Bar- uh, Rahm Emanuel was largely elected in 2011 because he was Barack Obama's chief of staff, and he was largely re-elected in 2015 because Barack Obama decided to do those commercials for him, if you recall. The, uh, he did those TV commercials and radio commercials extolling the virtues of Rahm Emanuel, and that apparently was enough for people in the city of Chicago to re-elect Rahm. And then, what was it, about three or four months later, they had this gasping moment of realization when the Laquan McDonald story broke. Like, oh my God, what have I done? And ever since then, he's been persona non grata in uh, the city of Chicago. So uh, it's interesting that uh, Rom would be advised. It's, it's, uh, actually, I can understand why Rom would be advising uh, Joe Biden to cling himself to Barack Obama because it's worked well for him. Our next clip, uh, Ben, you're going to love this one. 
the secret to being a good debater is devotion to the truth. Not mm -hmm. winning the argument, but telling the truth, and I think that's what I've heard from and if voters. You, and if you can't do that, fake it. <laughs> or that. Fake it. No, there is, there is a, listen, I mean, President, President Clinton got the kid from Hope, and he could, his story was relatable to where people were living their lives. God. <laughs> the kid from Hope. One more time. The kid from Hope would not have won in 1992 if the kid from Texas, Ross Perot, wasn't on the ticket. You know that, Roms. I just like, or fake it. Like, or dude, you know people it. in Chicago are watching this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or fake it. Ron was Remember when Rama gets sincere about stuff? Nobody believed him. You know what I mean? Even reporters didn't believe it. Reporters couldn't say, as we've talked about many times. Ramon is saying in the studio. She knows what I'm talking about. You can't really say it, but nobody believed Ron when he would get like, he would get like, try to get those tears out, be squeezing out a tear. Remember Ron the old days? Ramon is squeezing out a tear. I can get this tear. Come on, tear. You can do it. Crocodile tears, Ram. So right. fake it. Absolutely. Great advice from Ram Emanuel. We have a few more clips to play here. Uh, and uh, a little later on, I'll play the one of him calling uh, Castro mean. Oh, yeah, because Castro went after Joseph Joe Biden, who's Rom's candidate. That's pretty clear. So the debate ended. And uh, Ben, how's Rom doing so far in his, uh, in his job here I, at the debate? I think he's doing great. Great really? job, Rom. Great wow. advice. Fake it. I didn't, there you go. I didn't think you were going to say that. Oh, come on. He's great. All great right, material for the Ben Jarofsky show. Now the Cory Booker moment. Oh, All right. Here we go. I Holy crap. This, this is priceless, this moment here. So uh, Cory Booker uh, went to hug. What's her name? Heidi Han Heidi Hancamp? Or? Heidi Heidkamp, uh, the uh, former senator yeah. from North Dakota. Cory Booker went to hug her after the post-show talk here. And then uh, Cory Booker, for some reason, uh, threw this little jab out. Uh-oh. One second. Let me play it again here. Senator Booker, how you doing? No hugs for for for, for, <laughs> for, 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 for Rahm Emanuel. No hugs for Rahm. Nothing. <laughs> Matt Dowd, no love either. It's okay, I Matt. That was an oversight. Senator Booker, I'm okay without a hug. You got a hug? Yeah, that's fine by me. You have that mayoral solidarity. You were the one who said it, so that's fine. Okay. Oh my God! Nervous laughter from Rom because it's pretty apparent. No hug for Rom Emanuel. Even Cory Booker doesn't want to go anywhere near him. You get a picture of Cory Booker hugging Rom. There goes whatever support he had out the window. By the way, uh, I don't know if you noticed, Rom didn't comment this on a post debate. I don't. I don't recall him commenting. Maybe he did. But Laquan McDonald's name was uttered uh, in the debate last night. I can't remember who was the one who said it. it was talking about um, all the violations of uh, justice that have come have occurred over the last few years and Laquan McDonald, I think was the first name uh, uttered. So, uh, you know, there was right, it would have a perfect moment for Rom to weigh in on that. Could be was, wrong, but I think it was Beto who said that. Was Beto mentioned uh, Laquan McDonald? I believe okay, so. I can't remember who, but I remember sitting up and going, oh my goodness, and was really eagerly waiting Rom's uh, reaction, but of course he neglected to talk about that uh, while talking about the need to fake it uh, in presidential debates. Great advice from Rahm Emanuel. All right, we heard Ben Jarofsky's winners and losers. What about Mayor Rahm's? Let's compare and see if they... Uh... Rahm Emanuel, winners and losers tonight, I mean, if any. Well, there is a, a lot of people got a chance to advance their campaign. I actually, you know, if you look at the whole field... I think that uh, Vice President Biden did, Senator Warren did. I do think that uh, Mayor Pete, Amy, uh, Senator Globuchar, all and Senator Harris all got a chance to advance their uh, campaign. They had moments that will be taken away. I think the biggest loser in this is uh, obviously former Secretary Castro that I think had a moment that he actually went tougher and meaner and it had a streak that is not going to work for him. I do think this. I think the party, I would say the first two debates, oh the party God. did not do well. 
I actually think the party this time as a whole, we showed as a, the slew of candidates collectively, you walk away, the gestalt, the moment, the party actually is a little more uh, in a better position. What worried me, we were talking about this earlier in the Pew poll that Democrats were, as ever since the presidential debate started, started having a negative impression. Now they're, I think, going to start to rebound. Wow. He thinks Castro's too tough. This is so funny coming from Rahm Emanuel, whose whole reputation is based on the fact that he's tough. He sends people dead fish and stuff. He takes knives and cuts them in the, in, uh, into the, the wood. I mean, he says Castro's too tough. I thought Castro was easy compared to stuff that Rahm does. Good God. Anyway, Rahm's saying Castro's too tough. By the way, yes, he, he named all the people he liked. Notice who wasn't on the list? Bernie Sanders. Rom hates Bernie Sanders. That's pretty much clear. That's because Bernie didn't support Rom in 2015, if you recall. He came to town and supported one. Chewy Garcia. So there you are. Rom's appearance last night. Can I pick up on one thing here? Yes, Why I think this is such an important point. Yeah. Tell me who was for opt in or opt out on the Medicare for all. You, I mean, I'm, Kelly, and I'm, Kelly, I think I follow policy. I'm confused, okay? No. And I had something to do with the last health care bill. But the biggest part a candidate has to express over the arc of the candidacy is why here? Yeah. What gets me up in the it's morning? In what in and that gut. question about when you fell down or your resiliency tells you about the motivation towards either a health care position or why did Mayor Pete decide to join the armed forces? Oh, my God. That's one of Mayor Rahm's favorite themes. Why did Mayor Pete decide to join the armed forces? What about Mayor Pete's record in South Bend? Why is it that so many black residents of South Bend cannot stand Mayor Pete? That would be a good question for Mayor Pete to have to answer in a national debate. What do you think about that, D, huh? Yeah. Ooh. Rough. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Ram, so I remember uh, Ramana Hussein is in the studio. It's uh, the Ramana rundown every Friday on the Ben Jarosky Show. Ramana, I remember, I think we, you and I discussed this, definitely discussed it with McDumkey. Uh, at one point, Ram wrote an essay chiding journalists for not asking the correct questions of Mayor Pete. Remember that? Great advice for Ram on, uh, for journalists. Any journalist who follows Ram advice, good luck with that. Uh, but remember he was saying there's cor- correct questions they should be asking Mayor Pete? Yeah, I do remember that. I don't remember the... I just thought it was funny. But I can't... I, I'm, rec- I'm kind of... Remember, I'm trying to recall what particularly he said about... Um, I don't know if he mentioned his own administration or questions that were asked about him. He was just saying that journalists aren't asking the right questions and well, need to ask tougher questions. No, it really wasn't was tougher it? questions. Or no, it was just the right question. The right yeah. question. And so the right questions to be asked of Mayor Pete, who was clearly a candidate that uh, Mayor Rahm was liking at the time, uh, the right question were questions that would make Mayor Pete look good. So his advice to journalists to ask questions would be something along the lines of Mayor Pete, I love you very much. Why are you so great? That, that I, every day I wake up wondering, why are you so great? Well, thanks for you for that question, uh, Rom. That's a great question. Why am I great? Uh, so that was sort of the advice that Mayor Rom. Oh, was okay. I, I just remember the article. I, I, I forgive me. I don't remember the crux of the story itself. All right. So I am not uh, going to ask you uh, any questions well, about... Before you ask any questions, we got to take a break, sir. So we would love to hear your thoughts oh, yes. on the debate. What do you think about Rom's performance? <laughs> We're going to play clips throughout the actual debate, too. We just want to let everybody hear uh, Rom's stellar performance from the uh, pre-show and post-show. Uh, but yeah, stick around. More Bendrovsky show on the way. But we got to talk to you about this, podcast fans. The team at the Sun-Times has a new show to add to your listening lineup. That's right. We have podcast 
podcast neighbors, Ben. It's the football season. Get the inside scoop on the Chicago Bears with Hallis Intrigue. It's the latest podcast from the Chicago Sun-Times. Tune in to hear Sun-Times sports reporters and Bears experts, including Patrick Finley, Jason Lassier. I'm just going to butcher these names and more, I'll say. Uh, they evaluate games, make predictions, provide insights, and analyze the day's big stories. Stay informed this football season. Listen to Hallis Intrigue at suntimes.com forward slash Hallis and be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Check it out now at suntimes.com forward slash Hallis. And for those who may not be from Chicago, Hallis is H-A-L-A-S. Don't go anywhere. The Ben Jarofsky Show will be right back live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. It's the butter cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right. It's made entirely out of butter, and it, you know it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. In the studio with me, it's the Romana Rundown every Friday on the Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, Romana, before we uh, go to the local news of the day, uh, there's one thing I have to ask you. You and I have talked about it briefly. Uh, Samina Mustafa, who will be our guest at 445, cannot wait for that uh, breakdown. <laughs> the uh, yeah, we're going to have a whole segment, uh, an hour at least, uh, Latissa Wallace and Samina Mustafa talking about the debates. And Samina's already told me like some of the things that are in her mind. One of them is uh, Andrew Yang's comment that uh, it was a wisecrack. I'm Asian, uh, so I know a lot of doctors. This is like, why? he's what an did, expert i'm uh, curious what she felt about it did i don't you know. say anything? she did, she started to say and i said hold it till 4 45 when we have the live show because i i like to really not know what samina's okay. gonna say i like to be surprised well uh but it was on i'll her tell mind. you I'll, I'll mention her a bit <laughs> when i talk about but it was funny because i'm personally not watching the debates i'm reading about them the next day i just feel like there's just too many people in the crowd right now, the crowded field Democrats, I don't feel like I, I, I'm waiting until the crowd kind of thins out a little. I admit it. But I'm having friends. My friends are... Go ahead. This is like Marino Donald saying, I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I read an article about it. No, but then I just read about the next day to see who won and who lost. All right, go ahead. Fair enough. And anyway, well, yesterday, I should say one quick thing. Before I was going to bed... I was looking at my phone and my husband, Mick Dumkey, was, was like, what are you, what are you looking at? That's so important. And I said earrings and he thought I said hearings and I'm like, no, I said earrings and I don't care about any hearings right now. But anyway, uh, you hear <laughs> just that, to Mick? show you, yeah. uh, uh, anyway, he's, 
I can go off on a tangent on that conversation, but I won't. Um, anyway, so a friend of mine, uh, while I was actually at an exercise class, and she's like, anyone watching the debates? And I said, I'm not. I don't want to watch them right now. And then she told me about Andrew Yang's comments about how he said, I'm Asian, so I know a lot of doctors. And then he talked about, I think, the healthcare. Yeah, his his notion issues. that he's an expert in healthcare is because he knows yeah, a lot of doctors. Yeah. And then uh, my sister was on this WhatsApp thread. We have this WhatsApp thread and some friends and my sisters are on it. And this uh, and my sister's like, oh, that's stereotypical. And then I'm like, well, so the friend who sent me the text is a doctor. She's South Asian and she's married to a doctor who's um, part uh He's part uh, Syrian and part Mexican, um, but but and then my sister is married to a doctor. She's not a doctor, and her daughter is going to um, med school right now. A lot of doctors in this. And story. then and then yeah, and then I just thought it was funny. I'm like, well, it is a stereotype. But a lot of people were, and then you know, my father was a doctor too. But Samina's mom is a doctor. Just bringing that up, yeah, okay. just to say that we so we do know. I, I can tell in my South Asian community, we do know a lot of doctors. and But that doesn't mean every single Asian person knows a lot of doctors. And then a lot of people, some people on Twitter were saying, well, I'm Asian. I don't know a lot of doctors. So it is definitely a stereotype. But I do, I, I admit, I, as a South Asian, I don't know a lot of doctors. And when you had that panel at the hideout, um, the, you guys were talking about the healthcare industry. Yeah. And I told my husband, I'm like, well... You guys don't have any doctors, yeah? Because he was talking about. <laughs> I don't know a lot of doctors actually. Uh, yeah. so I'm just thinking about that, I, how many doctors do I know? I was going to say not to be stereotypical, but you're Jewish. Yeah, I, I, think I don't that you know a lot of doctors. I don't but. know any doctors. Well, that's like okay, uh, Donald Trump got in trouble. Even Donald yeah. Trump never gets in trouble. But Donald Trump uh, was I don't know where he was talking, uh, but he was uh, he was he was uh, giving a speech or a comment somewhere. And he said uh, there were a lot of Jewish people in the audience. Yeah. And he goes, uh, I said something about lawyers. No, he says, I want uh, people like you to be counting my money. Okay, so oh. he was just blatantly going to the stereotype. Yeah. So the stereotype, so it's like a two-pronged thing. On one hand, um, you know, it's okay, I guess, for Andrew Yang to make doctors. And by the way, he made a joke in the last debate. About being good at math. Yeah, I'm good at math. I'm, I'm Asian. I'm good at math. And everybody's like, how are we supposed to take this? <laughs> well, you know I mean? I, I'm South Asian. I'm better than math than most the average American, but I'm not that good for South Asian. I'm terrible at math. I, I, although, you know, I can, like, do random, like, add things together. Like if you ask me right now, D, what's five and five? Ten. All right. Yeah. Here you go. Okay. But anyway, I, 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 a friend of mine, a friend of mine also texted me about the yeah. um, record player comment that Joe Biden made. And then I sent a text to Mick earlier. I mean, today. And I know he was getting offended by it. because It sounds like you, Mick. Uh, wait, you know, time out. Let's play. Let's listen. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure <laughs> you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. <laughs> Make sure the kids here work. Listen, now here's my thing. It's okay, for, I, I guess, for Andrew Yang to uh, make minor jokes that about him knowing doctors because he's Asian. Or being good at math. Or being good at math. I guess it's okay. I'm not quite sure it's appropriate, actually, because on one hand, it's a mixed message. Yeah, on one because hand, you want to tell people you should not uh, cling to social stereotypes, all right? And now you got this guy running for president of the United States saying, hey, you should vote for me because I'm Asian and I'm good at math. Yeah, and exactly. And I, I know a lot of um, Asian Americans, including me, don't like that stereotype of the model minority. 
and that's what it plays into. But I, I just thought it was funny. Oh, yeah, I do. I am, I am South Asian, and I do know a lot of doctors, and a lot of my South Asian friends are very good at math. Right. Very good at math. And, and I'll say this. So uh, I believe that the only people who are allowed to make fun of Joe Biden uh, for being forgetful and borderline senile are other old people who are forgetful <laughs> no, and borderline. No. Oh, I, I see. It's okay to make fun of the old guy. It's okay to make fun of old white baby boomers. That's the way I see it. Well, I mean, I just don't oh, get... That's because you're not an old white baby boomer. You may think, think differently if you were. That's true. That's true. But I feel I feel like the record player comment, it just didn't make sense with the question that was asked. And I know a lot of people feel like it was toned up. They're like, what are you saying? Like... Oh this no! It like, was it, it just made no sense yeah, at all. I mean, if you read uh, the, the 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 question and then you read the response, Ramana, and the, when I was starting the show, you weren't here, but it reminded me of the old days of Rayer, uh, Mayor Richard M. Daly, and some of his utterly absurd responses to questions wherever he would go, and people kind of understood they had a sense of what he was getting at. You, you know what I mean? That was part of his appeal, and so. I, I think that actually helped Joe Biden. Cause I'm, I you think so? Yes. And I do the, believe. And the more you hear it, it kind of makes sense. Let's listen like, again. Play the radio. Make sure the television, <laughs> the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. Yeah, never mind. I don't know what the hell he's saying. <laughs> I was going to say. Make sure kids hear words. I just thought it was funny that he's like, oh, television. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, record player. So is he saying like the record player is more updated than the television set? I don't know. Set? I don't know. It was me. just kind of funny. Uh, I, I can't And it sounded like he was about to say phonograph but yeah. he, he was <laughs> maybe he was going to say phone and no, another thing he did uh my wife and i noticed this at the debate last night um another thing he did he had a hard time remembering the names of the people who were standing next to him and this is something i struggle with so I, my conventional way at d knows this is to say oh boy you know oh boy d and he's like and then we've been working together so long he kind of knows who i'm getting at uh so biden would say my friend on the left and i yeah, that meant Elizabeth Biden because she was. But he didn't mean left politically. Uh, no, he, I think he literally meant because he was surrounded by lefties. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Yeah. But you know, I I'm really good with names, but I can understand some people are really not that good with names. And if he's older, I I watch for, what you're I, about to say. I know, I'm saying <laughs> no. Even a lot of younger people, Grandpa, are really hold bad. your ears. <laughs> I know a lot of pe- younger people are bad with names too, I'm but I'm 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 really good with names. So, with names. but I know some people are very bad with them. So I understand that. All right, I'll, and there's so many people in the race right now. So there's a lot of them. But it was funny. He goes, my good friend on the left, and I'll t- I give him credit for this. I'm dyslexic, so I have a hard time judging between my left and my right. Yeah. So uh, you, usually, what I have to do is literally, I'm not making this up. Pick up a pen. Oh, I write with my right hand. That's my right. So at least he didn't do that, Romana. At least he didn't go, hold on. Let's see my left. My left. Oh, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, anyway, that's who was uh, on his left. All right, let's move away uh, from the debates for a moment and talk about some of the local issues as we generally do with Romana. Uh, let's start off with, it was in today's Sun-Times, Tim Evans. Yeah. We talked about this on Tuesday with Maya. Uh, this was, of course, the um, the race. Uh, the, the judges get to vote for it. The head of the Cook County Judiciary. Talk about what went down yesterday. Yeah, so they had had a vote at the Daily Center yesterday. I believe there's 254 Cook County judges. So mm-hmm. Tim Evans is the chief of Cook County Court. That I guess that's his title, if I'm using the correct title. Mm-hmm. And he actually chief had... Judge. Yeah, chief judge. Um, his challenger um, yesterday was Lorna Popes, who's also a judge. Propes. 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 Yeah, 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 sorry. Um, anyway... So Tim Evans won, and it was it was one forty three to one hundred two. I think the le- wait, the last time he was, I guess, had a 
close challenger was when it was um, former Alderman Allen. Mm-hmm. And I guess that was a closer vote. Tom Allen, yeah. Yeah, Tom Allen. And so anyway, um, it was 143 to 102, and he talked to uh, one of Lorna Propes' biggest, uh, I guess, campaign thing was that she was going to want to get rid of term limit or uh, term limits if that's the correct term yeah and so she was because tim evans has been in there since 92 mm-hmm. i thought it was longer than that no because tim I've evans seen, has been a judge since 92 but oh sorry always, 92 sorry 2001 yes but he's been a judge since 92 but being a kid i remember seeing his face everywhere because he ran for mayor and that's why i think i feel like i've seen him forever yeah um so yeah i don't know i thought it was longer than 2001 but he, it's kind of funny because Mark Brown wrote the column. It's a funny um, column. He's I a great, he's a great it, yeah. columnist. Mark actually saw me before the vote was being taken. He's like, I should take you with me because you'll recognize a lot of these judges and you could tell me who is who. And so we kind of laughed about that. And so I thought it was funny when Mark talks about how um, Judge Evans started talking about, well, the average Supreme Court justice is close to 90 yeah. years. and. Uh, Mark was like, well, actually, the average age is 67. Yeah, but who's counting? Uh, as everybody knows who listens to the show, Romana for years was the uh, courthouse reporter at the Criminal Justice Building on 26th and Cal. And uh, the issue that judges, uh, that Probes was running on this, this her central complaint about Tim Evans, follow me in this, uh, Romana, is that she didn't think he was uh, vigilant enough in defending judges, judges. Uh, who were up for a re-election. And she was talking in particular about Matt Coughlin, who was... Uh, defeated one of the few times I can recall mm-hmm. where a judge did not get the 60% approval. What a bizarre system of electing judges we have, but whatever, that's our system. Yeah, it's hard. It's it's confusing. I mean, even for me, for someone who covers the criminal justice system, there's so many judges I see and I don't sit in the courtrooms all the time. And so I remember whenever there is a vote and there's for judges up for retention, you kind of have to look at what the Bar Association says. Or I, I've used the Sun-Times as a cheat sheet, Yeah, you know, too. when I go. But, you know, I do know some of the judges when I go back there because I covered 26 and Well, you, you have experience, obviously, because you but see... But the average the, person doesn't. And I'm, and I'm someone who does have experience, and I still feel like I need, you know, a cheat sheet. A cheat sheet. And I, I appreciate those cheat sheets. And uh, I, I just... It was hard for me to be sympathetic to Lorna Propes because uh, she was saying, essentially, that Judge Evans... Uh, in his position should just fall in line behind any judicial candidate as long as they're an incumbent almost like the attitude that yeah. Nancy Pelosi is supposed to have for congressmen if they're a member that or Michael Madigan has toward legislators if you're a member of my caucus I'm for you no matter yeah. what you do and I just don't think that's an appropriate position a chief judge should have if you have evidence that a judge is not doing his or her job well that there's some I agree I said you should still be able to speak out you're not going to say oh I'm just going to defend them just because they're They're part of my group that's like saying if there's a journalist who's unethical i'm not going to back them because they're unethical yeah you may you may like them on some level but yes exactly so yeah i think i think just because someone's in your profession doesn't mean you have to defend them i think you have to be fair with every single case and there might be some cases where a judge is unfairly targeted yes there have there have been cases i i where i I've been in judges' courtrooms and, you know, there's one case that kind of taints them and then everybody, you know, then there's articles about them and I've seen judges that are worse and they tend to stay on. So I'm just saying there's judges I've been in, I've been in their courtrooms and I'm like, how are you a judge? And I'm just saying, I'm just saying as someone who is not a lawyer, it's like, 
I understand the law better than you do. You know, I'm just, and I'm not saying all judges because there's some judges that I think are very, very good. But I've been in courtrooms at 26 and Cal, and I'm like, how could this person be a judge? Well, Romana, I have far less experience than you uh, in covering the courthouse. Although few times I've done it, I've seen some bizarre behavior by judges, <laughs> and I do wonder how is this person on the bench? Yeah, and I don't want to give out names because I could have caught just caught this one judge yeah. on a particularly bad day. But my God, yeah. dang, you're weird. No, <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of interesting characters there. You know, I've no, I've been, and then there's some judges who I think just get unfairly targeted because of the way they are but doesn't mean they're bad judges necessarily well uh tim evans is a consummate politician for many years he was an alderman uh he was harold washington's floor leader back in the good old days of council wars in 1983 to 87 that's why i remember his face for a long time and uh so he is a very uh likable human being and i'm not surprised that he was victorious uh and i'm i'm actually uh pleased that he was victorious because i don't believe judges should just fall in line uh behind any judge no matter how bad all right speaking of judges uh, Ann Burke, we gave a shout out to Mark Brown, outstanding columnist uh, for our beloved Bright One. Mm-hmm. Let's give a shout out to the Tribune. Eric Zorn, a very good columnist for the Chicago Tribune. I thought he wrote a good one today uh, about uh, Ann Burke, who is now going to be the chief judge of the Illinois uh, State Supreme Court. And she, of course, is married to Alderman Ed Burke. Not yeah. And friend just, of the show. I should disclose that I used to work for Michael Sneed, and Michael Sneed is good friends with the Burks, especially. Ann Burke. So I do know Ann Burke on a certain level because when I worked for Mike Michael Sneed, I did talk to her a couple times, and and I, I, I as as you know, this is politics aside. She seems like a very nice person, but that's that's politics aside. Yeah. Um, so she was voted um, on the Illinois Supreme Court by her fellow judges, but there was um, in in I guess there was a, a, a compl- not a complaint, but uh, some sort of. A complaint lodged uh, complaint by, lodged by uh, Jeffrey Orr, Jeffrey Orr yeah. who obviously the name, if it sounds familiar to anybody, is uh, the son of David Orr, the mm-hmm. former city clerk or the Cook County sir, clerk. Uh, he, Cook he County is clerk. Cook County clerk, former alderman of the 49th yeah. Ward. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, she there was a complaint that she had hosted a political, uh, not she, but there was a political par- uh, party at her house. Um, for Tony Preckwinkle in January 2018. The invitation said Ed Burke, but there is question as to what her you know, alignment was with this party itself. I was actually, I thought that was pretty interesting because haven't they had a couple parties for people or political fundraisers? I yeah. guess it was a political fundraiser. And I think Tony Preckwinkle talked about it a little too, saying that you know the only reason her Ann Burke's name wasn't on the invitation because she was a candidate for retention. So I don't know Tony Preckwinkle. I don't know if she's outing her in a way. And you know, as we all know, Ed Burke is being investigated by the feds. Well, he's been indicted. Indicted. Okay. Sorry, yeah, and at investigated. The, at the time, he was under yeah. investigation. You're right. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, Jeff Orr filed uh, this with the Judiciary Inquiry Board. And they basically exonerated Ann Burke, I guess if that's the right term, but they didn't disclose why, because they said that legally, they said something like legally they don't have to, or they don't have to disclose, you know, what why they came up yeah. with this decision well so. this is a, a this is a, a very strange situation this occurred in the midst of the uh, mayoral race 
and uh, Ed Burke. The timing for Tony Preckwinkle couldn't be worse. Tony Preckwinkle thought she would just be ushered in as mayor yes. of the city of Chicago after Rom stepped down. She was one of the many who jumped in the race after Rom stepped down. And then all of a sudden, shortly thereafter, uh, the, the story bursts on the front pages of every newspaper in town that Ed Burke is under indictment. And all of a sudden, it matters that people like Tony Preckwinkle have had a close relationship with uh, Ed Burke for all these years. And then all of a sudden, it's revealed that Ed Burke had a fundraiser at his home for mm-hmm. Tony Preckwinkle. Uh, and then that, she has to distance herself. So she has to distance her. The way she distanced herself by saying, oh, it wasn't Ed's fundraiser. It was Ann's fundraiser. <laughs> well, there's a rule that says judges can't hold fundraisers. So Jeff Orr, a little troublemaker, Jeff, I see you out there. Uh, <laughs> Do you know him? Yeah. Je- uh, Jeff Orr is David Orr's uh, son. He's yeah, a, I just he, don't know him. He's a hideout regular. He comes oh, out. In okay. fact, one day I'm going to get him on this show. Uh, he's very knowledgeable about politics. And uh, so he filed this co- uh, complaint, uh, which... Eric Zorn is absolutely correct. We need to know. I yeah. mean, it's not some frivolous complaint. It's <clears throat> clearly a violation of the rule. We just pretend the rule doesn't exist. No, I, I agree. I think I think there are good questions to ask. And it's something that we shouldn't brush away. I just thought, as, as someone, you know, I definitely follow politics. I'm not saying I'm the expert. But I thought Ed Burke had a lot of these parties. He did. At his house. Like Kim Fox had one. And if I'm... if. If I, I don't think I'm mistaken, I remember that. that there, Wait, you know, he had a party for Kim Fox? I don't remember I this. think there was some sort of fundraiser for her. Okay, I do. I, do, I actually just don't remember. I was just yeah, thinking. Yeah, I, I could be wrong, but I do remember because I was having this talk with someone. They're like, oh, how could she? This is before the the indictment. And someone was just saying like, how could she have a part? How could she be okay with being at a party that's hosted by Ed Burke? Maybe it wasn't at their house. Well, here's the deal on Ed Burke. And Ed Burke uh, held power... Uh, yes, unprecedented amount of power for a long time, and everybody kind of looked the other way. Exactly, with Ed Burke and I feel like everybody he, welcomed. Yeah, you know, they they're like, "Oh, if he's he's supporting you, that's great. And, You're gonna get your foot in the door." And right. Speaking of judges. Uh, Ed Burke had a, has a huge uh, say in, uh, in who is selected by the Democratic Party to get the nomination f- to fill a judicial vacancy. So now Ed Burke's under indictment. Nobody wants anything no, to do with yeah. him. But about five or six years yes. ago, everybody was not kissing even, Ed Burke's ring. Not even five or six right. years ago, just before he got indicted. Right, so there, like there, two there, years yeah, ago. Not even two, yeah. less than two years ago. Just like, a, wasn't it less than yeah, a year you're right. ago? It was about his, uh, so, January of, I'm losing track of time, 2018. Yeah. yeah. I'm just the day before that. Yeah. Everybody was okay with it. Yeah. So you're right. And even after the, the story, the Sun Times. And he got Tribune, voted in. He, this, yeah. Well, he, he got, got reelected. reelected. Yeah. But even the, after the Sun Times and Tribune broke the story that the feds were investigating him, he had a fundraiser and people lined up for the fundraiser. So you're absolutely correct. It, it was very recently that <laughs> yes. people have, oh, I don't want anything to do with Ed Burke. And you know what, Romana, this when I was giving out grades, I was forced to give out grades for Lori Lightfoot and I gave her an A for distancing or from Ed Burke and immediately I got a hit Lori haters and there's a lot of them out there I'm too easy on her now, she only dis- like you think I'm easy on Rom <laughs> you can't win in this town uh, it's too easy on Lori to give her an A because she distanced herself from a guy who's uh, but I, I agree listen and I say this everybody's up in arms you and I talk about it all the time Smollett Gate it's so hard on Kim Fox what did she know when did she know it but look at the double standard no no Ed, I think Ed I think Burke is just sliding right through I think I think the question should be answer asked and answered i i don't think i don't think it's unreasonable for anybody to ask these questions absolutely but you wonder if you know if it's just going to be something that ed zorn um, eric zorn is just going to mention and nobody else you know what i mean it's like it's something that should definitely be pushed 
Um, all right. Uh, one other thing that's been in the news today, locally and nationally, Mary's and both, let's get your thoughts on this. The ongoing feud between uh, Texas Senator uh, Ted Cruz and yes. our very own Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Yeah. I was actually working um, on Labor Day when the first tweets came out from Lori Lightfoot. I believe Ted Cruz first tweeted about gun control and how in Chicago gun control hasn't really worked. He said, he tweeted to the effect of look what's happening in Chicago because my reporter um, Mitch Dudek was doing a roundup of the violence in this, over the Labor Day weekend. And so he told me he was, he had to mention this back and forth because then Lori Lightfoot said, keep our name out of your mouth. And it, it kind of snowballed since then. Um, I don't know if you paid attention, but uh, Father Flager is actually the one who's, I don't know if he was the first one to invite or if it was Lori, but I did a story the next day where um, Father Flager, he was talking about a gun control rally that he was organizing. He and a lot of his um, allies in Chicago, and it was going to be a national, it's going to be later this month, I think September 25th, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, it's later this month. Anyway, he had said he, w- he was inviting Ted Cruz to come to Chicago and to see what's happening on on the ground. And so I think then Lori Lightfoot kind of, I think it was a back and forth with them. And then Lynn Sweet, our DC correspondent, was at this Christian Science Monitor event yesterday. And then she asked Ted Cruz, like, would you come? And he said that he's like, I don't, he's, he said he'd be, he seemed like to be open to it, but then he's like, I don't want to be part of this political circus. He said, I know it's, you know, he's like, I, he mentioned Lori Lightfoot's tone and anger in her comments. So he's like, well, I don't know. But then he, then he kind of went back and said, I'd be open to coming. And then he talked about how he's been having some video chat with Alyssa Milano about gun control. I saw that going. It's so. very bizarre. The whole thing is uh, is bizarre. It will be a political circus, yes. uh, no doubt. And it will work, obviously, for uh, both Ted Cruz and Lori Lightfoot. They'll get to play uh, to the home base for each one. So Yeah, and both- Chicago kind of becomes this punching bag, I feel like, for a lot of Republicans. I mean, obviously, well, Trump uses Chicago... I, I have on our next segment, we're talking about violence in Chicago yeah. and, and, and uh, attempts to uh, bring peace to Chicago. Very important issue with Vaughn Bryan and Frank Perez. We'll be talking about that. Uh, but it is, uh, it, in terms of Republicans, I'll just put this out there. I don't know if uh, my next guest will agree with me on this one. But when it comes to the Republican Party, I've not seen the Republican Party do anything to help cities like Chicago deal with mm-hmm. everything, any, their violence problems, their budget problems, school funding problems, nothing. All they do is use the city of Chicago as a punching bag uh, to yeah, uh, mock. Unfairly. And unfairly. nobody's saying that there's not a problem. I think a lot of people in Chicago are working towards trying to solve the gun violence problems. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you on that. All right, before I let you go, cannot be a Ramana Rundown without a Ramana recommendation. Um, I have two. I don't know. I'm curious. And I want to watch both of these things. They're totally opposite. Uh, I want to see Hustlers, the Jennifer Lopez movie. Oh, me too. Because I love Jennifer Lopez. I, love I, I think <laughs> I, I know she does a lot of schlock, but I, I tend to like her. And if she does a, re- and, and she's been getting rave reviews, and. Normally, this wouldn't be the kind of movie I'd want to see, but everybody says she does a great job. They said the cast does a great job. Constance Constance Wu, Mm -hmm. who is from Crazy Rich Asians, she's in it. Um, Cardi B, Lizzo. It kind of has an interesting Kiki Palmer, who was in, uh, God, what movie was it last year? But it was an Oscar-nominated movie. Um, She was also, I think she's a DePaul grad. But anyway, it seems like a pretty good cast. It's about how the, it's based on a real-life story about how these, uh, strippers ripped off these wall street 
guys and you know made money off of them and i think it was it was it a new yorker piece uh, that, it was but either. i think, I think it was julia new york magazine yeah julia styles plays the reporter who's julia kind of styles. doing yeah she's Whoa. in it yeah she's uh, in it too julia, that's in the 90s man. yeah can you name the movie d a Chicago-based movie, Julia Stiles? Yeah, the dancing movie. I'm forgetting what it was called. Uh, uh, the Last Dance, the la- isn't it? Yeah. I'm looking at my guests. Yeah. My guests saved, saved the, the last, last dance. dance. I'm looking at my other guests. They're like, oh, look at me, man. <laughs> Big quality of the Ben Jarofsky show. Ben asked questions he didn't even know the answer to. <laughs> no, I knew Save the Last Dance because my kids loved yeah. it. Yeah, I saw I that movie that. like three times. Save the yeah, last so, dance. So, so she's in it too. She plays a journalist. And then the other show, I mean, that's the movie I do want to see. Um, it, it feels like a chick flick, so I don't know if my husband's going to want to no, watch it. No, he's not going to go see it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah there's uh, something. I'm not going. <laughs> the, um, the other show I am going to recommend is called Unbelievable. Did you hear about that? No, which one's It's that? actually, it's actually, this is a show that my husband will watch. Okay. Because it's based, it's based on a news story by his organization, ProPublica. Oh, okay. Of so it's actually a very serious, it. it's a very sad and serious case involving this young woman who said that she was raped. And then the, she en- and she ends up t- changing her story, and she gets charged with mm. you know filing a yeah. false report. But then there turns out that there's like similar cases that happen elsewhere. This happened in the state of Washington. Anyway, they, the, I it's the story's been getting rave reviews, yeah, it's and because it's based thing. on a pro, I, I never read the pro public story. So I don't want to read it because I want to watch. Maybe I should read it first. All right. So I'd rather read it. But going back to your more frivolous recommendation, yeah. I've been threatening to have you and uh, Maureen, Maureen yeah. sit down for a bonus show where we analyze a movie like we did uh, with uh, Sergio Mims uh, and Chris Adams on uh, Once Upon a Time in America. So if this movie's good, and Maureen, I know you're listening out there. You're going to have to go watch it. Reading an article about it is not good enough. Maureen O'Donnell knows movies inside We were out. talking about movies earlier yeah. this week. And so maybe we'll watch this yeah. one. If we like it, we'll watch it. We'll sit it down. We'll do the uh, deep dive. Because I'm dying to see it, too. I like J-Lo and Hustler. Sounds like a good flick. Uh, one of like a caper movie. I've know? always been a J-Lo fan. So, um, and J-Lo is a big Romana Hussein fan. And <laughs> Romana's on the show every Friday. Thank you so much, Romana. Appreciate it. Uh, we have uh, Vaughn Bryan and Frank Perez ready to come on we'll be right back after this did not say john kennedy did not say I'm, i have a plan to get a man to the moon and so we're going to do it and i think we can all work together and maybe we can get a man on the moon and john kennedy said by the end of this decade we are going to put a man on the moon because john kennedy was back in the day when politics did you know that 40 percent of the people in illinois opt to be cremated well it's true And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. Chicago landcremationoptions.com. 
Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for um, like, if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you um, even wider. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. And they just announced Hillary Clinton will be at Chicago Ideas Week. That's pretty awesome. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we get into that, the Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for sponsoring us here. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two. Let's go. Friday, September 13th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, it's the return of Senator Robert Martwick, and it's the Benny J Show debut of Vaughn Bryant and Frank Perez. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Vaughn Bryan and Frank Perez are in the studio. We're talking about partners for peaceful and safe communities. We uh, talk about ways to uh, end some of the, the, co- the gun violence in the city of Chicago, the violence in the city of Chicago. Before we bring Vaughn and Frank on, D, what's the update? Got a couple of updates here. First off, at about, you said 445 today, right? That is correct. 445 today, we're going to be doing a post-debate special. Samina Mustafa. And who's going to be Latisa joining? Wallace. Oh, wow. Latisa Wallace, oh, former God. lieutenant governor candidate. Clean the place up. No, I love Latisa Wallace. We she hasn't been on the show in a while. Holy crap. I got to clean it up here. We got mm-hmm. important people coming in. Latisa Wallace and Samina Mustafa <laughs> are going to be in, and they're gonna be, we're going to be doing a post-debate special. Uh, we're going to leave it as a bonus interview for you to download, but we're going to do something a little special today and throw it up on the live stream as well. So at about 4.45, come back. You may see a notification or something. Uh, you just look for it, all right? We're going to be doing the live stream on the uh, post-debate show, but if you miss it, don't worry. You can download it at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader website. 
websites or wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Like every weekend, it's a Benny J bonus interview. Check out the rest of the interviews as well. All right, up next, right now on the Bendrovsky Show Facebook page and chicagoreader.com, it's the latest Chicago Reader column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. This article is titled, A Tale of Two Tax Bills. Ben Jarofsky, what are the people going to learn when reading this? Absolutely. I think Vaughn Bryan and Frank Perez might appreciate this story. Anybody who lives in the city of Chicago would appreciate this story. I do a little deep dive. You know, Lori Lightfoot's going around the city holding hearings on the budget uh, and with her trying to figure out ideas, ways to fill the gap. There's a $838 million, I think that's how much she says it is, a budget deficit for the, that the city is facing. And I'm urging her in this story not to fill that by raising property taxes. I say this not just because I pay way too much in property taxes and I've been complaining about my property tax bill forever, but I believe uh, that there's a larger problem that the city is becoming less and less affordable uh, to so many of the folks who've lived here forever. And I don't believe Chicago benefits if we become too poor or too rich. I believe we should have a middle class, a working class in the city of Chicago, a real balance in the city of Chicago. And the reality is the uh, property taxes is a regressive tax. And by that, I mean it hits people uh, who can least afford it to pay it the hardest. So I think Lori Lightfoot, and I'm offering this as a recommendation, don't know if she's going to listen to what I say. Generally, mayors in the city of Chicago do not listen to what I say. But I'm offering her, I'm hoping she does. So she doesn't, she, don't be like Rom, all right? Listen to what I say, Lori. Uh, more, think progressive when it comes to raising revenues uh, to meet uh, the city's needs. Don't just hammer us with another property tax hike. I think it turns people off against government. It makes the city uh, unaffordable or less affordable to folks that we want to stay here who've been good citizens and been living here. And I, I talk about somebody like this in the story. So that is what the comms about. And that's my advice to Lori Lightfoot. Wait, what's that, Mayor Rom? Take a chill pill, man. Okay, yeah, Mayor Chill Rama. out, dude. He never listened to anything I had to say, man. Chill Mayor out. Rama. It's posted on the Bendrovsky Show Facebook page, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, chicagoreader.com. Go check it out. And speaking of the Facebook page, we have been waiting to hit 2,000 likes, because when we do that, we are going to have our next caption contest. Right now, I'm looking at the page, people. We are at 1,980 Nine, 1,989 likes, 11 more to go, people. Head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. If you've yet to like it, go like it, tell your friends, share. And when we hit 2,000 likes, we will have our next caption contest. And it is going to be a Lori Lightfoot caption contest. Mm, sounds exciting. Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Don't raise those property taxes, Lori. All right, that's uh, just Ben speaking. It's not uh, my next two guests are not saying that. It's uh, my next two guests are Vaughn Bryan and Frank Perez. Uh, gentlemen, uh, welcome to the show. Appreciate you coming in. Thanks for having us. All right, we'll start with you, Vaughn. Tell folks a little bit about yourself, how you uh, got here into this issue. Uh, so my name is Vaughn Bryan. I'm the executive director at Metropolitan Family Services, and I'm responsible for shepherding uh, Communities Partner for Peace, which is funded by the Partnership for Safe and Peaceful Communities. Um, I came to this work um, back in 2009. I moved here from New York. Um, I worked for Chicago Public Schools. Uh, about four months in, they asked me to build the Safe Passage program. So that's what I did. So um, that was my first sort of foray in the uh, city government here in Chicago. Um, after two years, I became the chief program officer at the Chicago Park District. Uh, during that time, I actually sat on a board of what is now called Chicago Thrive or Thrive Chicago. 
and I met Rick Estrada, who was the CEO of Metropolitan Family Services. And then fast forward to 2017, we meet at a Leadership Greater Chicago event, and he had, you know, community community's partner for peace was incubating, and he asked me if I would come help him build it. So mm-hmm. that's how I came to the work. And Frank, you? Well, you talked about the, the property taxes and the mayor earlier. Well, I'm one of those lifelong residents who've been here who are paying property taxes. Uh, basically grew up in a humble park community in the city of Chicago and uh, been through some of the trials and tribulations that those communities have faced over the years. Uh, got involved with a guy by the name of Herb Spurgle 100 years ago, a professor who uh, <laughs> basically... You're, you and me, we've been around a long time. Yeah, yeah. who basically was doing stuff around violence, in uh-huh. particular with gangs and so forth. And from that, uh, prior to coming where I am right now, I'm at, I'm at UCAN, a child welfare organization, mm-hmm. um, where I am the director of violence intervention prevention services. But prior to that, I, I worked for some 15 years for, for Cure Violence, uh, formerly known as Ceasefire, which was using parts of the Spurgle model in trying to reduce violence in some of the most devastated areas of the city of Chicago. As the Director of Violence Intervention Prevention Services today at UCAN, my job is basically to carry on that type of work in trying to reduce violence in those communities that are most devastated by violence in the city. My particular community was with an emphasis in the North Lawndale community, as well as one of the South Side communities as Roseland. Now, now Frank, explain what that model is that you're just alluding to. Basically, that model is to work with um, indigenous workers, what we call uh, credible messengers, from those communities that are being services, uh, uh, devastated by violence. We hire people who've been there, who've done that, uh, who may have served some time, may have been involved in the gang life, who have a vested interest because those people, whether they did time or not, uh, you know, when they're coming out of the prison system, they're not going to Winnetka. They're going right back to those neighborhoods where they came from. And more likely than not, they have a vested interest there because they have children there. They have grandparents there. They have parents there who have to navigate through those those minefields we we call the dangerous spots on, on the block. We try to bring, not always, you know, not just all of people from that community, but most of the people, if you're going to have an impact in that community, you have to have people from that community to take the lead in trying to reduce the the, the, the ills that are in that community. And as you know, lately, the, the, the number one topic we've been talking as, uh, about has been the violence that's being perpetrated in some of the communities that were represented throughout the black and brown communities in the city of Chicago. So I would just add to that that, um, you know, not only do we go in with our credible messages to stop the violence, but we offer them case management services. So whether they need education, uh, job training, behavioral health services, uh, home, you know, housing, um, whatever it is they need to turn their lives around and live empowered lives, we want to offer that. The other parts of the model are we, you know, you live in Chicago, so you know the park district has night out in the park. So you can go to movies in the park or Shakespeare in the park, that sort of thing. So we have events uh, three nights a week during the summertime uh, in the nine communities we're in just to bring positivity to those communities and positive activity so people can go outside mm-hmm. and just, you know, 
uh, fellowship in their communities in a safe way. Um, and then the last piece of the model is the uh, Metropolitan Peace Academy, where we professionalize street outreach work. So all of the outreach workers have a standard of practice that, you know, community members can trust because they've had this training. And even though we wouldn't we would use the language that we work with the police, we have a professional understanding and we want to want them to know here's our lane and what we do and what you should expect from us um, so that when we're navigating and both working on reducing violence, that we can do that in a respectful and coordinated fashion, mm -hmm. just in the sense of, you know, where we stop and start and we know where you stop and start. Uh, and I'd love to hear what both of you think about this. Uh, start with you, Frank. Many times when I've heard, when I've had conversations with my friends of the, just let's, I'll put, put it, the Republican or right-wing persuasion, I, don't, I have a few friends like that, uh, and they'll tell me when I talk about programs like yours, uh, that's just a bunch of gangbangers, and they're, they're, uh, they're holding their hands, uh, we should be tough, be harder, lock people up, uh, you, you, Ben, you're just your typical knee-jerk, uh, bleeding-heart liberal, et cetera, and so forth, okay? Uh, I've had many conversations like this going back since the moment I moved to the city of Chicago in 1981. That's how long I've been living here. So what's your response when people... You, I know you must have heard yeah. these responses if I heard them. It's the same old thing that we hear about more often than not when you're running for an election, right? We're going to lock them up and throw away the key. The fact of the matter is that in this country, people eventually come out, all right? And they come out back to those communities where they're from. And, you know, they have a vested interest. People do change. Every, everyone can change. No matter what uh, they may have done in their life, there is a time in their life where they realize that, you know, we've got to do something different. So you have to give people an opportunity. If you want to talk about wasted dollars, you know, it's extremely expensive to house somebody in a penitentiary. It's extremely expensive to deal with the violent injuries aftermath. Uh, you know, it, it costs a whole lot of money to have somebody come into a trauma unit and be treated for gunshots. I'd rather reduce violence and save that money to be able to deal with pediatric care, mm -hmm. geriatric care, and other things. So we've got to tell people the truth. We've got to do something on the front end and on the back end as well, because there's a lot of retaliatory stuff that happens. The nine organizations that, that Vaughn alluded to, uh, uh, part, uh, Community Partners for Peace, you know, we're attempting to do that. We just don't believe in just throwing someone away and, 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 and holding something against them for the rest of their lives. We want them to be at the table because who knows best about the trials and tribulations of what people are going through in that neighborhood than the people who've experienced those trials and tribulations. So we want to we, we wanna get those people involved. Not all the people we hire are ex-felons. We do have professionals on board, caseworkers, social workers, so forth but you better have that type of population so i would tell you don't believe that because that's not that's, we're not going to lock anybody up and throw away the key people eventually do come out and it's very very expensive uh to, to house people in the prison and i and i think you see that in washington with the, uh, uh, the legislation around uh the, the prison sentences and so forth for certain crimes and whatnot they're starting to see the bigger picture we, we need to do something else in terms of the light in the night i do want to stress that the, the the light and night activities that we're doing, we do three nights a week um, with, you know, not only that target population that we're trying to get to and talk to and have them change their way of life, but also the entire community because we're going into some areas that have basically abandoned whatever resources are there. We're going into areas where a park may have been abandoned because of the danger in that park of being shot. We want to get people. We want to get their children. We want to get their parents. We want to get the guys to come back out and understand this park is a sanctuary. 
why shouldn't your elders or your young children come and play and have a good time in that park? And if, if, if you're involved in that life, you can understand that safety is a priority even for your own uh, loved ones and whatnot. So let's let's make this a sanctuary and leave this leave this alone. And we're doing things. Whether it's a barbecue, having food out there, to having music out there, to having live bands out there, to playing musical chairs with women, children, adults, you name it, we're involved. Having arts and crafts where people are finally coming back and because they see us out there, they feel safe. And the guys them know themselves realize that, hey, that's a sanctuary. Let's leave that alone. Let, let's let the community have that, 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 that peace in, in that particular area because their own parents and, and family members get involved in that. So I think the thing I would add to that is just the human part of it is to your friends who, you know, friends in quotes. Yeah, your friends in quotes. Is <laughs> yeah. How would they want their, yeah. their friends and family members to be treated if they fell on hard times? Like when you have resources, your kids have a long rope to make mistakes and you're going to continue to support them regardless of what happens because you want them to ultimately live a productive life. Now, we know the history of systemic racism in this city. We know about discrimination, especially from the housing perspective. I mean, we know the, the history of gangs and organized crime in the city of Chicago. So when you add the racial element to it, you know, honestly, as a white person, you have an off ramp because organized crime was in with the police. They're in with unions. So you end up getting a union job and there's police and fire and other employees that ultimately probably have that background in their family. Right. But their family members found an off ramp for them. And we're just saying, hey, the same thing is true for all Americans. Yeah. So treat your treat us and treat other people in the same way that you would want to be treated. The other thing I want to add, too, is that the communities we're in are Austin, um, East and West Garfield Park, North Lawndale, Humboldt Park, uh, Little Village, uh, Back of the Yards, Inglewood, and West Inglewood. So those are the nine communities that we're in. There are nine of the most violent cities in Chicago. And we're also, um, you know, about to add to the mix because there's some other funding that, you know, we've inherited from Cure Violence that is going to bring more partners and more communities to the table. I, I just wanted to mention that the, the, this is one of the first times in the history, I, like I said, I've been here a long time, that we've had so many organizations to get together with the help of various funding sources that have pumped some, some well over $75 million into this, 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 this collaboration that so many organizations have gotten together and said, we're going to work together. Rather than player hating and fight against each other, we're going to work together because we have a common uh, goal to reduce violence in our communities. The last point I wanted to make that, that you alluded to is brown and black people deserve mercy just like any other race. You know, uh, no one race is, is better off than another and when it comes to providing them with mercy and stuff or something that they have done, some kind of act they have, may have committed. We all deserve a chance to change and th I, I really want to put that forth because many of the guys uh, yet, several years ago I had the Attorney General's office contact us regarding the, the kind of guys that we hire and the relapse level in, in the cure violence model and we look like at over 300 employees. And of those 300 employees over a 10 uh, year period, we found that maybe six of them had reoffended, of which three had been acquitted. Mm -hmm. I'll match that record with the police department, with politicians, with anybody <laughs> else that's out there when it comes to people who reoffend and so forth. Uh, listen, you're preaching to the choir in this one. one way, and I'm not gonna, this is me speaking. This is not Frank and this is not Vaughn, but I'm just gonna say this. When Donald Trump gets in trouble, 
All of a sudden, he's got rights. You know, all of a sudden, he's complaining about overzealous prosecutors. All of a sudden, he's a big believer in the Constitution. I'm surprised he doesn't buy a membership in the ACLU when he's in trouble, Frank Perez. But what did some guy in Chicago gets caught up in it? And uh, it gets a, a criminal record. It's like he's a thug. He's a murderer. You know, he, he's, he's a criminal. He's a lowlife. He's denigrated all people who have no records. Anybody who comes to this country uh, from the southern border. So don't get me started. You guys are both like, Ben, you're going too political on us. But that's just, when I hear you, that's what triggered my response. Well, that was my saying? point around mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. There's you no know, question. so I hear it. Yeah. I listen to the right wingers, and I watch them like they're throwing Kim Fox under the bus right now for what what went down with us, uh, Jesse Smollett Gate. All right, and I'm like, all right, it's true. I b- believe that we should investigate and see what calls were made, this, that, and the other thing. But where were you guys when they were looking the other way when it was Daly's nephew who got into a fight in a rush street and killed a guy with one punch? And the police said, oh, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. And the old boy skated. Where were you? you get, do you understand? Say what I'm saying, mm-hmm. Frank. Of course, bad, bad. Don't go. But I'm just Double saying. Standard. I hear you, and I just see the in- inconsistency. Vaughn just said the words. It's a double standard. We treat different people differently instead of trying to be consistent with across the board. You know, our criminal justice system, you can look at that and see that. You know, if you're, if you're Caucasian or if you're brown, the sentencing laws are, are going to be much more harsher on you if you're brown or black and so forth. We know that for a fact. All right. Yeah, now, yet, yet all lives matter. Yes. <laughs> all right. All lives do matter. But yes, I get your point. All right. Now, uh, here's something else I've been struggling with for a long time. Uh, and uh, I'm of, of the older persuasion. I've been around a long time. And for as long as I can remember, there's been violence in Chicago. So I have people come on the show. We talk about violence. I always say this. I go, you know, guys, it's not like violence just occurred. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 it's been happening for as long as I can remember. It's a very violent city. Frank, you grew up in Chicago. You yeah. go to Tule High? That's... Uh my brothers went to okay. Tule High. You're a little younger. You're too young for Tule High. No, I remember Tule High. My older brothers went to Tule High. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's we well, got to be careful with that because I grew up in an area back in the 1970s where we were tipping 980 plus murders a year. Okay, mm-hmm. and even in our worst, I mean, a couple of years ago we were up to 700, and and right now we're tipping about three something. Uh, in the last couple of years, four or 500. That's still 50 percent of what we were, um, uh, t- where we were in, in 1970s. The 70s. And remember that back then the armament wasn't as deadly as it is to, as it is today. So, uh, you know, that's a misnomer that things are getting worse. They're actually getting better. But the fact of the matter is. Any, any, any violence, that's what we're trying to address. Any violence is bad for any community. And certain communities are, 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 are you know, that have been uh, segregated, that have been disenfranchised, there's a higher rate of violence than other affluent communities. And, and that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to reduce the violence with this collaboration. And we've been successful. In the areas that we've had, we've actually reduced violence. So people might, like you were saying, they say, well, it's a waste of money. No, it's not. If we're able to save you money on the trauma units, on the incarceration of people to do thing, uh, other things with that money, maybe for better schools, maybe for better housing and so forth, then I think it's 
a win-win for the entire community because sometimes we have that attitude that it's only over there so I don't have it doesn't affect me so I don't have to worry about it mm -hmm. yes it does the violence affects the entire community mm -hmm. when it happens whether it's in West Humboldt Park or whether it's in North Lawndale or whether it's in Inglewood it's affecting all of us in the city mm -hmm. all right but I want to ask you this question uh, and it's sort of piggybacks on what Frank was just saying uh, there's like t different types of people uh, let's just br move it out from beyond this particular there's different types of people in the world mm -hmm. there are people who confront any kind of challenge by punching mm -hmm. all right I could think of a lot of politicians from our town. Mm -hmm. That's the way they do it. They punch, mm -hmm. they punch, particularly if they think they can get away with it. Mm -hmm. They'll punch harder. If it's a bigger person, then maybe they'll think twice, but punch, punch, punch. Mm -hmm. They're proud of it. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm not mentioning any names. Don't want to get you guys in political trouble, but you know who I'm talking about. Now, um, then there's other kinds of people who, and I know this type very well, because I think I'm like this type. Like, let's talk about something. Mm -hmm. Let's calm down. Let's just diplomatic. Let's just let's mm -hmm. whoo, take a deep breath. Let's do a little breathing here. Mm -hmm. I've always believed that that type is something that should be promoted uh, in conjunction in when we deal with violence in the city of Chicago. I think there's such an impulsiveness mm -hmm. in the city of Chicago. People in, in Chicago, I've noticed, I'm not from Chicago. Yeah. Neither are you, so you have an advantage. Mm -hmm. But people in Chicago, it's like, I'm from Chicago. I'm tough. I'm going to show you. And they mm -hmm. like they just want to get settle it mm -hmm. with might. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And our mayors reinforce that to a certain degree, mm -hmm. but with the way they act and the way they mistreat people. Is there a way to kind of get people to be more diplomatic, to take that deep breath and just say, you know what, let's calm down, let's chill out. I'm going to listen to what you say mm -hmm. and I'm going to respond. Is there a way to promote that as a way to uh, de-escalate the Absolutely. violence? Absolutely. And de-escalation de training is a part of the Peace Academy. So all of our uh, outreach workers are trained in de-escalation. De I mean, the police are really trained in de-escalation. The key is you have to execute on it and you have to be accountable if you escalate a situation, especially to the point of killing somebody for something that is just unnecessary. So, um, so yes, I think that you're absolutely correct that we need to promote that more. We need to execute on it and behave like that more. There is a time and a place for more confrontation, um, but that's rare. It should be rare occasions. That should be the exception, not the rule. And um, yeah, I mean, we can all uh, benefit from cooler heads prevailing and understanding that we all do really want the same things. We all want the same thing for our family and our children to, you know, live prosperous lives. I mean, the vision that we want to see is that the city of Chicago is one of the safest cities in the world where everybody can live their lives and pursue happiness. Everybody wants that. So now obviously capitalism brings some competition to that, but it still has to be competition within the bounds of, you know, the values we have as a, as a country. And mm -hmm. so we have to really live that. And that means, you know, you may not win everything, but that doesn't mean you resort to violence because the reality, again, if you look at the history of this country, when things don't go your way, we resort to, to violence. And so to the point that you guys were making about how violence was before, progressively, as the world has gone on, we're kinder and gentler in general because, man, it, back in the day, I mean, it was like <laughs> it was really doggy dog and yeah. survival, whereas, you know, we're moving to, hey, like there's a different way to do things. And so progressively, you know, we're going to get better. But we have in Chicago uh, a unique situation because what separates us from other uh, like cities is access to guns. And so you know, if you if you took away gun violence and then you looked at every all of the violence from there, then we look just like most other cities. So. 
you know, we have to we have to do some things differently here and we have to invest in it for a long period of time to get to that point. So if we, you know, for 15 years, if we can really sustain this effort and get to the point of New York and Chicago, then we would be somewhere around I mean, New 190 York New York and L.A. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, 197 per year, which is a is that a right? Big difference. Yeah. Hold on, I'm not good yeah. at math. Yeah, you're telling me that if we had the same uh, murder rate, rate exactly in yeah. uh, the city of Chicago, the shooting rate, uh, yeah. shooting rate mm-hmm. as they have in New York and Los yep. Angeles, mm-hmm. uh, we would have 197 uh, murders a year by gun. Mm-hmm. And how many do we're how many do we have this year? Do you know? Offhand? I'm not sure what the current number is, uh, but it's somewhere in this. I, well, I don't know where we are year to date. Yeah. That's, that's a good question. I it's think we're 300s. somewhere. Yeah, it's it's wow. actually close to 400. Like, I think we were at, when we had the citywide convening, I think it was like 398. So what yeah. is with, with Chicago? Well, the, 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 what you mentioned, the de-escalation, which is what we do with the the, the Peace Academy. Um, a lot of the stuff that's going on out there, it, it's not for major. It, it's really uh, personality-driven. You know, you call me a B-I-T-C-H. You said something to my girlfriend. You owe me a few dollars and so forth. And, and, and a lot of the violence is act at the spur of the moment, not mm-hmm. thinking about it. And, and what our workers are trained in is how to be able to talk to individuals, get, get them to calm down, you know, for that first five minutes and then get them away from the situation. So for example, if you strike somebody, that person is going to be real angry at you that moment you struck them. A couple of hours from now, they still may be angry, but not as angry as they were when you first struck them. A week from now, you're going to be about, you know, the 300th person that maybe had, had struck them in their life. It's not going to be a big deal. So part of the the training that we do is to emphasize to the to the workers in, in involved in the collaboration of the nine organization is that there, there's always someone that can talk to somebody if you can't be that person there's somebody else who can get them to rationalize is it worth you crossing that line look at how much you have to lose behind somebody who owes you a hundred bucks or because somebody called you a name or something so we try to get people to think differently that's the whole thing we're doing because in these disenfranchised community a lot of people don't have a lot of a lot of um, a lot of anything other than this thing called respect, and right? I, so they exaggerate that respect to the point that you have to be on pins and needles around them because anything you say could get them to go off. We've got to re-educate them to, to, to realize that there's no shame in being humble to walk away from something. Right, so there's a re-education, but there's also like you have to get to the source of why people act like that it's, it's it's they've been traumatized so when you've been traumatized and there's some abandonment in terms of the love that you should get from your parents and your extended family when that's not present then you do have a snap reaction because you've been traumatized mm-hmm. now e- either because of what you've seen and experienced or from some sort of abandonment that also causes trauma so we have to understand that and that's when you hear the term or the jargon trauma-informed care that's what they're talking about keep that those things in mind when you operate with these people and then the other part of it in terms of when you think about the four and communities partner for peace is restorative practices when there's you know an incident that occurs then you want to restore the relationship between those two individuals so it's important to intervene early like he said like the reality is you it could be a year away and somebody may still want to retaliate because they've been traumatized they're not in the position of healing and forgiveness and those sort of things it's more dog eat dog eye, eye for an eye i want to one up versus being one up because if you take it in the street the code is like you know, you're maybe you're soft and anybody's going to run over you. That sort of thing is, is very important. All right. Let me ask you this. 
I'm going to ask you this question first, Vaughn, and then Frank, you weigh in. You think you can think of your answer while you're listening to him answer. <laughs> and I'm asking you this question first because you told me you came from New York, all right? Yeah, I lived you, in New York You before. lived in New York, yep. all right. Yep. So you've had experience in New York, mm-hmm. and you've had experience here in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, the, the behavior that both of you describe that sets off violence is something that I know New Yorkers have too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause there's New Yorkers that have that same chip on their shoulder that you're talking about, uh, Frank, that sets people off. I need respect, et cetera. And I know people in LA have them too. I know mm-hmm. it exists all over Absolutely. the world, but only the city of Chicago. Do we have a murder rate do we, where our murder rate is higher? So here's my question for you. What is it about the city of Chicago that leads people to settle these differences with a gun with, at a greater rate than happens in New York or LA or other cities? A couple of reasons. So one is New York and LA invested in this years ago. So if you think back to Rodney King, uh, in LA that during that time is when LAPD got into a consent decree. So the police had to do something different based on that consent decree. They embraced community policing in a way that, you know, ultimately led them to, embrace uh, community outreach, what they call uh, street intervention work. Um, and they've been doing it for a 20 year period and they had an investment. And so they had a strategy that sustained over time that, you know, really brought their murder rate down. You look at uh, New York as well. They also have an office of violence prevention there. In the city, they spend 35 million a year. That's the city putting money into that. So they've been doing it for a long period of time. And so, yeah, over time, the, the interventions that we're putting in place, they can work, but they have to be sustained. We are just now in 2019 opening the Office of Violence Prevention. I think it's called Public Safety and Accountability. Mm-hmm. And we have, uh, you know, Susan Lee there who worked in L.A. before. So she's seen what's happened in other cities. And so I feel really good about where we are, you know, with Lori Lightfoot, with the the, the team they're putting in place in that, that office. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's a good time for us. And I think there's a lot of reason for optimism, given the infrastructure that, that we're building in the communities that we're in right now. Right. If I may, you know, Chicago, we've been at the forefront of doing this kind of work for decades. Mm-hmm. Right. And you mentioned a couple of places. You mentioned California and you mentioned New York. In fact, those two parts of the country took what we were doing. Mm-hmm. All right. And they took it to the next level. They professionalized it. They got into the city budgets and so forth. Last time I heard of anything like this, of this magnitude getting into the city budget, was uh, the CIN network that under Mayor Harold Washington, and that was quickly scrapped when, when Daly came into office. So we, we need uh, violence prevention to be part of the city budget. Now, I'm always hearing that uh, it's, it's money, it's money issue. Well, wait a minute. It's money issue, and we're not being disrespectful. We always seem to find $110 million or $120 million for law enforcement for, over, you know, for overtime. We always seem to find money for disasters and whatnot. I would tell you that the violence that's occurring is an epidemic proportion. It's a disaster. It deserves the same kind of attention that all these other institutions. And so we need to be in that city budget and in, in a meaningful way, not just a couple of hundred thousand, not just a couple million. If you want to have an impact in reducing violence, you have to go at it like it's epidemic and you've got to put amounts of money in it that are going to be able to treat that. In the long run, we will be saving all kinds of money and the taxpayers will be happy with what we're doing with that money rather than, you know, the, the, uh, they say the uh, definition of insanity is keep doing what you're doing and expect a different result. Mm-hmm. Come on. Uh, we as, tired of that? I, think, I think the other thing to point out in this is that the good thing of when you, you make that investment and then simultaneously your, um, 
your economy is doing well. If you think about New York, they always have new people come into that uh, city because there are jobs and there are opportunities there. So when population is increasing because you have an economy and you use that to invest in the people there that are struggling, then you have a win-win situation. And so for us, we're the only major city that's losing population and part violence is part of that. Mm-hmm. So we should look at what's been done. So yeah, we, we might've figured out how to intervene, but we got to support that intervention for a sustained period of time. Because if we get our economy going as well, simultaneously, then again, this is one of the greatest cities to live on earth. Yeah. uh, The economy is going, unfortunately it's not going for everybody at the same uh, rate. I know both of you know what I'm talking about. Frank Perez, uh, Vaughn Bryant, before I let you go, uh, tell folks uh, if they want to get in touch with your organizations, uh, how they can do it. If they want to participate in some of these programs, how they can do it, uh, all that. Yeah. So like first you you can go to metropolitan family services, uh, website slash CP four P. Um, but I want to list the organization. So Institute for nonviolent Chicago, uh, breakthrough urban ministries, Alliance of local service organizations, you can, uh, new life centers, uh, Eman, uh, precious blood ministries of restoration and target area development corp. Those are all of the the organizations that we work with now. And we're going to be expanding into some other organizations as well. Like in Lasse, like, uh, one North side, um, Claritian Associates, uh, Project Hood, Aclavis. Um, so, you know, we have a great coalition. You know, one thing people say is Chicago is a city of neighborhoods. And I love that because it brings diversity throughout the city. But we got to be one Chicago on this. And that means that people from all over the city have to come together because we all have a goal of reducing violence. All right. Fair, fair enough. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use my power. I'm going to uh, kill that uh, TIF deal that they're going to have in Lincoln Yards. <laughs> Take that $1.3 billion and use it to fund uh, your program. How about that? I just solved the problem of crime. Just in one talk show. Man, I should be the mayor of the city of Chicago. Anyway, Frank Perez, Vaughn Bryant, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate bringing you back. Thank you. I appreciate you coming in. It's been a pleasure being here. All right. Rob Markwick is on on deck. We're going to be talking politics with him when we return. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F-M as in Mary, A-N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. I want to start with Rahm Emanuel, the former mayor of Chicago, chief of staff to President Obama, and someone who knows Vice President Biden very well. If you're in his ear tonight, what are you telling him? Yeah, energy. 
passion uh, and you got to come alive in that area and be also light about it in the sense that you're going to be between uh, Bernie and you're going to be between Elizabeth. They're going to tag team you. And if you can show that it doesn't get to you, that will be as much as uh, anything. But you remember, this is three hours. You got to be you have to have that energy and that impact all three hours, not the first two. So that would be it. It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. They're located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And people, I say it all the time, but I mean it every time. They're amazing. Monday through Saturday, 11 a.m. until 7 p.m. Sundays, 12 until 7 p.m. It's Green Element Resale. Books, lamps, antiques, clothes, furniture so many things at green element resale it's fantastic let's see i'm looking at uh green element resale.com oh they also have links to the guardian.com the news website that's pretty cool that's really nice here green element resale green element resale.com 6241 north broadway in chicago oh they got board games i'm looking at a table right now Tons of furniture, tons of lamps and appliances, antiques, all kinds of stuff here. It's Green Element Resale. Go there and save tons of money. Welcome back to the Ben Jaromsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. State Senator Rob Martwick is in the studio. It's hard for me to say. I'm so used to calling him state rep, but he's a state senator now. Congratulations on Thank the promotion. You. I think you've been on the show since you were promoted. But old habits are hard to break, Rob. So it, it, They are for me, too. Every time I hear somebody say it, it sounds like a joke to me. I'm like, senator just doesn't fit. Seven years as a representative. Wait, so time out. Seven, and have you actually, I can't recall the answer to this. No, I, I, I think the last time I was here, it was in part of the process. No, but I mean... Have you actually been in session on as a state senator? No. So veto session is coming up uh, end of October, beginning of November. So we'll be we'll be there down there doing that, and uh, that will be the first time I'm actually in session as a senator. I got you. All right, veto session. Uh, we're going to get into that. Lots to talk about with Rob Markwick. He says he can talk about the. You want to talk about the debates, Ben? I'll talk about the debates. You want to talk about veto session? I'll talk about veto session. You want to talk about Lori Lightfoot's appearance in Jefferson Park? That's his home uh, territory. I'll talk about that. Uh, you want to talk about the Chicago Bears? I'll talk about that as well. Uh, we probably won't talk about the Chicago Bears. You got an update for me, D? Better not talk yeah. about the Chicago Bears. We're, we're a political show. Not right? a sports show. All yes. right. We're going to keep talking about the debate, but mainly we're going to be talking about Mayor or former Mayor Rahm Emanuel's uh, performance on ABC <laughs> last night. Yeah. Uh, he was on the pre-debate, halftime of the debate, the post-debate. We've made it to the post-debate portion of our clips that we're going to play here. Uh, Rahm got to speak with a few of the candidates. Uh, we heard, oh, we haven't heard him speak to Mayor Pete. I believe we haven't heard that yet. So let's hear Mayor Rahm talking with Mayor Pete. Ben loves both of these people. <laughs> Mayor Pete, let me ask you Mayor. a question. On the ele I've done this when I've run for office. You always meet one person who tells you something and makes you think again and rethink what, you're, what you used to have as a position, hmm. whether it's on any policy. Who along this campaign trail, any part, doesn't have to be Iowa New Hampshire, you've met and they've told you something so powerful about their own experiences that makes you rethink a certain policy, whether it's on health care or a way you've approached a subject or a background. That story be, or that ba argument. Well, 
long question. story Come on, changes the way you think <laughs> of something. Have you met that person yet? Rob, it's not you know, about you. about campaigning is yeah. every day you meet different kinds of people. You lose 20 pounds also while you do it. That's another <laughs> great thing. I'm actually losing weight because most of my meals are in vehicles now <laughs> instead of sitting at a table. But, uh, yeah, you meet people who challenge your ideas all the time. That's the beauty of it. Uh, but the main thing is... That's a, all right. That's enough. Right, that, right. Yeah, go can, ahead. Can can we get can we get Ram on the Benjirovsky so so he can learn how to ask a question? Yeah, that well, was horrible. I, I, well, I doubt we'll ever get Ram on the Benjirovsky show. Uh, <laughs> I don't think he's ever sat down for an interview with me since 2002. How about that, Rob wow, Martin? Yeah, that's a streak. Uh, that was uh, a long time ago. Just general reactions to the debate. I know you're a political junkie. You must have watched it. Yeah, I, I liked it. Um, uh, you know, I, I think it was like a good next step in the process. So I wasn't blown away by anything in the debate. There was nothing that made me go, whoa, that's changing everything. And I think that the polls today probably indicate that it's not changing much. Um, but it was a nice step, whittling the field down to 10, letting them all get a chance to kind of show who they are so that voters will start to gravitate towards one or the other. Um, so, you know, again, it, it, it wasn't like uh, there, there were no watershed moments for me in the debate as I watched it. Um, it, it helps me hone down who I'd like to see uh, start rising out of the pack because I think that they will make the best contrast to President Trump. But we'll see. Now, who is that person? Uh, so me personally, I think that the best contrast, and you know, and, and when I say I look forward, I, I, and, and this is purely political, has nothing to do with policy, purely political, I say, who do I want to put before the American public who's going to stand toe-to-toe with him in a debate and is going to provide the greatest contrast? And to me, and, and succeed, and to me, I think that's Cory Booker. I really do. I, I think he's. I, I think he's young. I think he's dynamic. I think he's whip smart. Um, I think he creates. He, he comes from such a different background and yet so close. Right? You know, like right across the river. Yeah. But such a whole different world. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, across the river. You mean across the river from New York City? Is that that's what you're right. Getting? Okay. Right? Go ahead. You know. I mean, and and just such have led different lives. And and I look at him and I say to myself. You know, we look at the results from Barack Obama winning and Hillary losing, and we know that young people and minorities stayed home in 2016. And we need someone who's going to bring out young people and minorities. We need to to finish that equation to win, to victory. And I just look at that and I say, you know, listen, if Joe's our candidate, I'm behind Joe, 100%. You know, when I was at the uh, uh, Democratic chairman's uh, brunch down in in, uh, Springfield, they were handing out buttons that said Democrat for president. And that's where I'm on. You know, I'm I'm on that party. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm for that, right? I'm, can I get one of those buttons? <laughs> Absolutely. I got an extra one for you. I'll okay, bring it next yeah. time. So, Democrat for president, and so I, I'm fine with Joe. I think he'd be great, but I, I think Booker would make such a great contrast that people would make that choice. And I think he will inspire young people. I think he will inspire minorities because of his story. And I think that's what we need to drive to the polls to ensure. Because to me, beating Trump is is so much bigger than any one policy position or just about our party versus their party. I think he really, as an individual, poses a real threat to our democracy. I think this this race is so important. And so politically, I'm starting to hone in who's going to be the best. Mm-hmm. Right now, he's he's off the charts on the polls. But I hope yesterday's performance brings him up you, a little you, bit. You made a reference to a poll. Uh, have 
have I've been in this room all day pretty much so I've been cut off from reality uh, other than the reality of this room have there been polls subsequent to the debate um, I was looking online I don't I don't think I don't I didn't think I saw anything yeah. updated okay. some prior to it but I just don't anticipate that it and all. why don't you put Kamala in that uh, category uh, many of the things that uh, you listed as uh, attributes for Cory Booker could be applied to Kamala Harris I, I do I like Kamala um, I, I like her it's just in in this there's no science to this at all I just feel um, I, I'm a big believer in that voters by and large are not, they don't vote on logic, they vote on emotion. And I believe that Cory Booker does a better job when he stri- speaks of striking emotion in the listener. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a quality I want. Uh, Kamala last night was trying to do that. She's been very flat up to this point. Um, so yeah, she draws a similar contrast as Cory Booker, a younger minority, um, but but she doesn't inspire that emotion. I'll, I'll never forget the hearing for um, um, the judge, the Supreme Court judge. Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh, thank you. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget uh, the, the Republican who's presiding, uh, accusing Cory Booker of... of Probably, who was the head of the Judiciary Committee? Is it Grassley, I want to say? but Yeah, uh, yeah. And someone accused him of, of something that, that was illegal. And he said go take me right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I really said to myself, I mean, he, he has the ability to seize on those moments where somebody says something saying, aha, and he can turn that around and say, you got me. Oh, I'm going to turn the tables on you. I've got you right where I want you. And to me, I I think he, that would really, that debate skill would really play well in a contrast with Trump. So now I'm going to ask you this, uh, and take into consideration when I ask you this question, uh, your experience as a Chicago politician, you've seen a lot of mayor, uh, mayors in the city of Chicago, including one Richard M. Daly. Uh, a lot of people are making fun of Joe Biden, uh, it's, uh, since the debate, because his rambling, uh, answer to, I forget what the even question was. Uh, you got a bit of a D you want to play? Play the radio, make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night, the, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. Uh, all right. I listened to that last night and then I read it, a uh, transcript of it, which is, it's really interesting to read, uh, Rob Marwick to read <laughs> the transcript. It's even better the transcript somehow. Uh, and I just thought Richard M. Daly. Yeah. Richard M. Daly would start rambling. He didn't know where he was going. And the citizens of Chicago loved him. So everybody's making fun of uh, Joe Biden. My attitude as a Chicago resident and voter who's lived through the daily years, I think he resonates with voters. They, in my humble opinion, don't seem to object to people who are borderline, I don't want to say the word senile, but they're not always speaking in a coherent, logical way. What's your reaction? Rom didn't speak in a logical, <laughs> coherent way. We just heard that in his question. And I mean, I was at plenty of speeches where he gave speeches and you're like, what is he talking about? Um, and, and look, that's no, look, he's a smart guy. It, it's just he, his public speaking skills for someone of his position. Wait, who's a smart guy, Rom or Daly? <laughs> Which one were you alluding? I didn't, I didn't know the pronoun there. I, I was actually talking about Rom okay, in the moment. Right. Um, I think they're both smart guys, but okay. uh, but but obviously public speaking was not neither of their fortes. You're right; it's not something that Chicago voters might demand. Um, they like that sincerity that Uncle Joe provides. But um, you know, again, I'm I'm. I'm looking at the bigger picture, which is how do we drive out the turnout that we need in order to win this election nationwide? And that's bringing out youth and minority. And, you know, uh, Bernie did a great job, which is why I almost won that primary, because he 
he inspired youth and he still does, but I got to think at 78, he's kind of losing that ability to, to, to drive that youth out. And, and, uh, you know, right now it's who they know. I'm hoping between now as the debates come down that again, one of these people, is it, is it a, a newly revamped Kamala that's a little bit more passionate? Is it a Cory Booker? Is it a Mayor Pete? I, I would like to see someone young that minorities identify with. Heck, I, I, I mean, uh, he's not my first choice, but again, Beto, what a great moment last night yeah. when he spoke about guns. You know, he's like not afraid to, to throw the gauntlet down. And so I give him credit. I don't I don't know if there's more behind that or not yet, but but he's putting a good front out. Uh, the complete opposite take that you have on how to win this election was opined by Mayor Rahm. D, you got that Mayor Rahm bit where he gives his thoughts on the best way for Democrats to defeat Donald Trump. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I got to look for it. All right. Uh, anyway, we'll play that uh, later because everything you just said, Rob Martwick, was the opposite of Rom's advice. Really? Uh, yeah. So um, mm. uh, thank God Rom is not in charge of the Democratic <laughs> Party. That's all I got to say on that. He's a pundit. It's okay, D. You don't have to find it. We, we're definitely going to need it for Samina and um, uh, Letisa when they come in. We're going to be talking about the debates. All right, let's move away from the debates. Let's get into uh, what's going on locally. Um, I don't know which one to start with. I guess we'll start with Springfield. You said there's a veto session coming up. Uh, Rob, help people understand what exactly a veto session means in terms of the new rules and regulations on, on voting. Well, it's, it's so the veto session is designed, so the regular session is January through May 31st. We pass all the bills. They go to the governor's desk. He reviews them and then does what a governor is supposed to do. He either signs them and they become law or he vetoes them. And, and in Illinois, he can veto them in, in part or in whole. He can amend them. He can line item them. And so any action that he takes that is not just signing the bill, then the bill comes back to the General Assembly where they either have to approve what he did or reject what he did. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, then you can override his veto if necessary. Obviously, during Rauner's administration, the veto sessions were quite lively. Um, Governor Prisker has not vetoed a whole lot of bills. He worked with us and we've got a lot of stuff signed. There are a few things. I don't imagine veto session will be terribly long. But in addition to addressing the vetoes, you can bring up new legislation. They require, they have different voting requirements depending on the effective dates. If you want something effective immediately, you can't just pass it with a minority or just a simple majority of the vote. You have to pass it with super majorities. Um, but it, it, inevitably there's always new things. So we just passed a big capital bill. What is a potential? A potential is that there's some sort of appropriation bill. You got, you're going to raise $45 billion of capital? Can't spend it until you tell people exactly how. So there may be some appropriations bills that start to say, here's how we're going to spend some of this money. In specific, we passed one, but you know we will continue to add specifics to that as we come up with the projects that we actually identify. Other things that are likely to come up um, we've heard much about the, the gaming expansion bill, how we might need something to address to fine tune because maybe things aren't going as smoothly as we had hoped. And that's a normal part of the process. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. You, you, you lay out a bill that says this is what we think is the best. And then when things aren't great, you come back and you fine tune them. Same thing with cannabis. We're looking like there's going to have to be some sort of trailer legislation to cannabis. Again, fine tuning these big, huge pieces of law that we passed – 
so that they can actually be implemented. All right. Now you talk about an appropriation. Uh, does that require a, a super, when you say super majority, what percentages or what num- number of votes do you need when you say super majority? Um, so uh, in the House, you, you, in order to pass a bill, you need 60 votes. And if you need a super majority, you need 71 71 votes to pass it. So we have 74 Democrats. Um, so that means passing things with a supermajority is is easier than it would be if we didn't have 74 Democrats. But again, we only have 74 Democrats because we have a really big tent and we welcome everyone. So there's pretty disparate views in our party. So getting to 71 is never quite as easy as yes. it seems. Yeah. So. All right. So that uh, now when you get to uh, uh, appropriations, do you need a super majority to appropriate the money right now in the veto session? Uh, no, no, because the, these th- these are things, I mean, unless it's something that has to get done immediately, um, it, usually it's the kind of thing where if the effective date lags for six months, then you can just pass it with a simple majority. And, and appropriation bills generally are not very controversial. It's just basically nuts and bolts of saying, here's where we're going to spend the money. All right. And one of the things that needs to be fine tuned uh, that we've learned lately since the last time you've been on the show anyway, uh, has to do with the gaming bill. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot gave a speech and and she said this in comments to the press as well, that the formula that uh, was laid out uh, to distribute the the winnings that the the casino in Chicago would bring in is not enough to induce a uh, investor to come into Chicago and operate a casino. You got to change the law, she says, uh, so that the can, uh, investor can make more money. That's effectively what she's saying. She doesn't mm-hmm. literally come out and say it that way. Right. Uh, so that obviously would be one of the, what you call fine tuning. Would you need a supermajority to fine tune the gaming bill uh, if you were going to do it right now in the veto session? I think so. If, again, if we want an immediate effective date so they can get on with this as soon as possible, I think then we would need a supermajority, which, I, I, again, I, I, on that sort of fine-tuning bill, it's not typically too difficult to get there. The question is going to be, you know, so much work goes into these bills. Unfortunately, with the gaming bill, maybe not as much was as public as it should have been. And and, and, and there's good reason for that. Uh, not that I agree with it. Like, I believe that the wheels of democracy are messy, but they're supposed to be. Sometimes in the sake of trying to pass something, we kind of keep the public out of things. And <laughs> and so that, uh, yeah. I think that's what happened there. They were, they were trying to get, they were trying to land the plane so they didn't have as much public discussion as possible. Um, and, and so I, I think that this is going to be fine-tuning that, but I think that the actual fine-tuning will go easier than passage after all right. bill. So I am all over the map on this one, Rob. I think we may have talked about this the last time we're in the show. On the one hand, I realize the city of Chicago needs money to pay its pension obligations. The gaming bill, if it creates a casino, those monies would be directed uh, right into the police and fire pensions, which are underfunded. So it's something we need to... Uh, on the other hand, when, when they talk about fine-tuning this bill... It means more money for people who operate the casinos, less money for the police and fire pensions. So what's your position on all this? Well, I mean, you, you've, got, you've got to find the sweet spot, right? I mean, no one is going to run a business at a loss. They have to run a business at a profit, and then I'm sure they they calculate out what that is. Certainly, we want to attract people. Um, so I, I don't have, I don't know what the answer is, but I do want them to find that sweet spot and get it done because um, the Chicago pension funds are are 
really at, at critical stage. They're at a critical stage. Um, uh, the police and fire are actually stable, although woefully underfunded, they're actually stable. Uh, it's the municipal fund, which is the largest fund in the city. I believe it's about 45% of the city employees, not including teachers, they have their own pension fund. But they are, uh, they are on the brink of insolvency and they are on a rapid descent towards insolvency. Mm-hmm. Even if we make the payments as required by law, so when, when Mayor Lightfoot's administration says we're $832 million short, that in anticipates, I believe, anticipates paying the required payment. But the required payment is not enough. Just making the required payment will almost certainly ensure insolvency which will cause massive property tax increases when we have to pay it. So so we have to find a way to get the money into the funds and stabilize them and then slowly start building the, the balances When back you up. said the police and fire, but I wrote this down really hastily, I can't even read my writing. Uh, when you said the police and fire is stable but woefully underfunded, what did you mean by that? So um, there, there's there's two ways of looking at pensions. And, and the, the most common way is what's their funded liability? Police and fire are roughly 20% funded. That is the the... the the barometer that most people look at. But there's another way of looking at it too, and that is the rate at which the fund must sell off assets to meet its current obligations. And what I mean is, you gotta send checks to the retirees, Mm -hmm. right? And so police and fire are woefully underfunded at 20%, but at least now they're on a payment schedule where we're putting in enough money to cover both an investment into the future and the benefits that we have to pay out to the employees. So they have to burn very little assets. The municipal fund, on the other hand, when we gave the ramp to police and fire, it was a very steep ramp to get them up to that actuarially required payment. Mm -hmm. The municipal fund is on a long, flat ramp that is year after year underfunding. And so they are selling off assets at a rate higher than any other major pension fund in the United States. They're burning 9% of their assets per year to pay their obligations, which is why they're probably about three years away from complete, because they're only 24% funded, and and they're just blowing through their assets at an astronomical rate. And at some point, that level will get so low that no influx of cash will save When you say assets, what do you mean? Like their stock holdings? Is that what you mean Yeah, they Yeah, they have to actually sell their investments mm-hmm. in order wow. to get money out, you know? And so it's, it's a really, really bad situation in the municipal It's fund. like those old uh, Russian families back in the aristocratic times have to sell the mansion uh, in order to uh, buy food to eat. Hold on, I have to, dr- uh, I'm going to drink some uh, alcohol right here. Yeah. Utterly depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Utterly depressing conversation about Uh, the future of the city of Chicago. All right. And so that just that that eight hundred and thirty two million, if if we were to actually pay what we need to pay into the municipal fund, like we are with police and fire, we would need probably another two hundred, two hundred and fifty million. All right, so please explain to me something. We have these uh, obligations that have to be met. We can no longer say we're going to cut the pensions. Mayor Rahm tried that. Uh, it didn't work. The state Supreme Court ruled against him. He wasted, I don't know how many years on that uh, strategy, yep. uh, something he neglects to mention when he's interviewing presidential candidates on ABC. Uh, and so that strategy doesn't work. So we need money. 
And uh, my good friends from the progressive community have come up with a bunch of uh, proposals, uh, progressive taxes, all everything from a, commute, computer, a commuter tax, a head tax, uh, LaSalle Street tax. And almost every single one of these taxes, the powers that be in the city of Chicago tell us it's not going to happen. You can't do it. Forget about it. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your breath. Please, Rob Markwick, explain to me, if we can't tax the wealthiest people who can afford to pay the taxes the most, what the hell is our alternative? Well, the alternative is really ugly, and it's something that I've been fighting against for a long time. So the alternative is um, these funds slide into insolvency. And when they do, uh, understand, like I said, when you get past the point of no return, there's no influx of cash that will save you. And so that means every year, instead of making an investment into the future that you expect to grow, you're making no investment. You're just paying what you need to pay. Mm-hmm. That's going to cause massive property taxes, two, three, four times mm. increase in your wow. property tax. Okay. When that happens, the screaming and the wailing <laughs> and the gnashing of teeth, and, and rightly yeah. so, from taxpayers will be overwhelming. And so the city will be faced with only one choice, and that is seeking permission to enter municipal bankruptcy. If they get that, if the legislature gives that to them, right, then what they would do is they would declare bankruptcy. And the ultimate line, bottom line here is that these pensioners would get pennies on the dollar. Right. So maybe 30, maybe 40 cents on the dollar if they're lucky. And that would still be coupled with the tax increase, maybe not as massive as otherwise. But those people, if you live in the city of Chicago, they live in your communities. They are your neighbors. They shop at your stores and they they eat at your restaurants and they drink at your local taverns. And they are going to get wiped out and they're not going to shop at your stores. They're not going to eat at your restaurants. And they're probably going to sell their homes, which is going to cause a massive drop in property tax values. And so if you're like me, where the vast majority of your investments are in your home, well, I mean, this is a bad, bad, bad scenario. Declaring bankruptcy, should we should avoid that at all costs, and it will have this enormous rippling effect across the economy. Um, the wealthiest, well, they'll survive it. But the rest of us from the middle class on down, it is going to be brutal. We're going to take it right on the chin. And so that's the only alternative. So when people say we can't raise the revenues to it, understand that the alternative is just as devastating with rippling effects across the whole economy. Everyone will suffer, but especially us. And so I think we've got to put all of those options on the table in terms of revenue. And we have to find a way. We got to find, we got to make a soup of, of, of revenues that allows our business community to thrive, but does not force middle class and, and poor people out of the city. So we can't just, every revenue measure that we've done over the last 20 years falls squarely on the backs of the people that can't afford to pay. So we do have to find some progressive forms of revenue, but we have got to stabilize those pension funds. It, it, it the, not doing it is, is just, it is a catastrophic event if we don't do it. Well, I, I can tell you right now, I agree with what you just said. Uh, and as I say this, uh, not just as a person who observes city finances and city behavior, but as a person who pays the property tax, and I can tell you how far mine has gone up uh, relative to my income, which is not done as well as my property tax bill. So I'm in the uh, same boat with a lot of Chicagoans uh, when, this, when I say this. And yet, again, I've never seen any, definitely over the last six years, any uh, systematic movement by the leaders of our city for a more progressive form of taxation that could solve these problems by taxing people who could afford it. 
I'm not sure I even see that right now. Uh, give me some hope for optimism on this front, Rob. Is Are you seeing any movement in this direction from your perch as a state senator? Well, of course I am because I was the chief sponsor of the resolution that will create a, a fair tax, a, a progressive income tax in the state of Illinois. So it's something that I've been working on, and I feel like we are close to getting it. And, and I hope it doesn't get derailed by middle class people who feel overtaxed or don't vote for it, because it's like, no, no, this is going to give you some relief. Um, so there are options. You know, there are things we can do with uh, property taxes where I, I did a bill a couple years ago that raised homeowners exemptions. That creates progressivity in our property tax system because the higher, you know, it, it everyone gets the same dollar value reduction. So the guy living in a $4 million home in Lincoln Park gets 250 bucks off his bill. And the guy living in a $250,000 home in Jefferson Park gets 250 bucks off his bill. So it's it, it makes the system more progressive. So we can make some shifts to make the system work a little bit better everything's got to be on the table and we got to get to work because we're running out of time it's ticking All it right. is ticking uh so speaking of getting to work uh there was a mayor a town hall on the budget in your neck of the woods jefferson park you just alluded to mm -hmm. it at the copernicus center last week i was unable to go i was i, I was recovering from uh, my op my little procedure here on my nose so i was unable to go i, I wanted to go uh what's your report you're our, our reporter on the scene uh what was your sense of of what uh, Lori Lightfoot's thinking of based on what you heard at that meeting? Well, the answer is I have no idea what she's thinking of. So um, I, I'm, I'm glad that she held it. I think it's great for public officials to go out and interact with their constituents and hear their concerns. Um, however, there was no presentation whatsoever about even any options that they're considering to address the problem. What they did was they gave a 15-minute, uh, I wouldn't even call it Budget 101, I would say, uh, you know, an overview of the Chicago budget process. Here's where we get our money from. Here's how much we raise in property taxes. Here's where it's spent. We did a survey. This is the results of the survey. And hey, everyone thinks we should spend it according to the percentages that we're spending it, right? And it's like, and okay, now, it's your turn. What do you guys want to have to say? And it's like, so they didn't actually propose anything. She's got a real big problem. I imagine she is working very, very hard. Her staff is very hard at work trying to figure out what this solution is going to be, who she's going to ask for help. We expect that she will come to Springfield and ask for some help as of yet. There's been no communication, so we really don't know. Um, I was sitting with a whole bunch of aldermen and legislators at that uh, town hall uh, and like I said, there were no answers. She listened to people's concerns. And as you can imagine, it, it was the general public. So there was a parade of people who st stood at the mic and said, don't cut pensions. And the next person said, get rid of pensions. And one person said, stop raising taxes. And the next person said, stop cutting services. Yeah. So, you know, it was like, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, it's a good thing for her to do. She's new. I, I, and I think she should continue to do it. She should hear yeah. from her constituents. So I applaud her for that. But I hope that at these future town halls, they start to roll out some, hey, here's some ideas. You can't really get feedback from your constituents if they have no idea what the options are on the table. Mm -hmm. Tell them what the menu of ideas are and then let them weigh in on what they think it should be. But just a random, what do you think, yeah. doesn't really get us anywhere. Uh, did you, by the way, speak at the... I did not. 
I didn't, no one, no, no elected officials did. It was, uh, it was Lori's budget team, a should say the mayor's budget team. She had a moderator and she spoke. Well, as a, a longtime observer of these things, as a former member of the state, uh, former state legislator, and now you're a state senator, uh, how would you rate Lori? Compare Lori, I should say, uh, with Mayor Rahm in terms of their diplomacy in dealing with uh, state reps and state senators. It's it's hard for me to judge her. I mean, I can compare her early, but th- there's so much more of her term to have. So, you know, she she did come down to Springfield right away and introduced herself and said hello to everybody. That's a good first step. Tonight, she's holding a legislative uh, uh, reception for legislators. And again, kind of hoping maybe she'll tell us a little bit about what she's thinking about what she's going to need from us. Um, but you know, we haven't had that, that personal one-on-one contact yet, but again, it's a big job. It's a big city. She's got big problems. She's got a lot of work on her plate as long. I hope it comes in time with Rom. Um, Rom spoke to a, a handful of his, uh, favorite legislators and he spoke to leadership and that was it. He really didn't speak to the, the, the rest of us. He did hold these legislative receptions. They were very nice. Um, but there was not a, a whole lot of communication. Did so. he have the legislative receptions as well? He did once a year, have all the, invite all the legislators. Um, where would they hold them? Uh, it, uh Navy Pier was popular, and um, there was one up on, uh, uh, and I'm going to forget the name of it. It's a restaurant right up on the lake up north a little bit. It's a former Park District site, I think, and, you know, real pretty places. Hors d'oeuvres, Hors d'oeuvres, cocktail, and then the mayor would come around and shake a few hands and say a few words. (laughs) Mayor Ron, what a charming and lovable guy, huh? (laughs) Uh, ABC TV has really picked the winner there. Uh, Did you find that thing, D, by any chance? I would love to play it. What what was he talking about Uh, again? This is Mayor Rahm, his advice. Uh, It was at, uh, I I don't know if it was pre or post, I think it may have been pre, Uh, and he was talking about the need to uh, drive out a vote. Uh, You you don't have to worry about uh, energizing the base. The base will already be energized. Uh, What matters is winning over Trump voters. Fingers crossed. I hope this is it. All right. Because what actually is happening, like 10 people left on stage. This is like Agatha Christie's novel. And then there were none. I mean, you're going gonna to thin out, thin out, thin out. And Donald Trump, whether you're a progressive, moderate, in the end of the day, we're going to have a nominee. And the most important thing we're going to be is about beating Donald Trump. That's our number one, number two, number three goal for this election. And the whole question now is, who do we think best positions not only to beat Donald Trump, but then advance the Democratic agenda? And then there's really only shades of gray. There's no disagreement about what the goals are, is how to get there. All right, that's not the one, but it doesn't matter. I, that that one kind of obvious. Uh. You know, it, and, and again, I didn't hear this. I I did missed Ram on ABC. I was watching on uh, YouTube, mm-hmm. um, but the idea that we have to win over Trump voters, yeah. if that's really his idea, I mean, I get what he's saying is never mind the base. I mean, that's like Joe is winning because he's got the base. The question is, is if 27% or 30% wins you the primary, can you get all the rest of those people that you didn't get to come to your aid and then all those people that don't vote in a Democratic primary to come out? I don't think it's about winning over Trump voters. You're never going to win over Trump voters. It's about winning the people, the moderates. It's yeah. about winning, you know, it's, a, it, yeah, even Republicans who are like, I can't vote for this guy anymore. Well, you know? I, what, I, to be to fair to Rom, what I think he was saying, I'm doing off of memory here, is that uh, 
there were people who voted for Obama and then they turned around and somehow or other, and I don't know how this ever happened, they ended up voting for Trump. Now you want to get him to vote for whoever the Democrat is. So yeah. he's saying that you, your base swings, is your base. Yeah. You got to get those swing voters and that's yeah. the key. Your base is going to vote no matter what. And that's his attitude toward liberals and lefties and progressives everywhere. You shut up and get in line. You have no yeah, choice. I and know. We learned in 2016, hey, they got a choice. They don't have to vote. That's right. And and that's, that's exactly right. I, I was just thinking like he's thinking about a small pool, right? How do you get the, 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 the people that are in this small pool? I say, let's get a bigger pool. Let's get those people back out and vote. New voters, young people, uh, immigrants, minorities, when they come out and vote, they vote Democrat. They stayed home in 2016. You know, they came out in 12. They stayed home in 16. Let's get them back out in 20. I agree. Great minds think alike uh, on that subject. Anyway, Rob Markwick and I uh, think alike. Rob, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. We'll get you back. Uh, so when's the veto session over? I got to look oh, exactly, look. but I think it's, I, I want to say it's last week of October, October. and first week of November okay. or, or there's, there's, it's, so we typically have a week, we have a week off and then we have another week and it's, it's October, November. So, um, the only thing is, is there is speculation that if we don't tackle some of these, these bigger, uh, trailer bill items that because there's not a whole lot of work to do because he didn't veto many bills, we may have a very short one Trailer bill items. You've explained trailer bills in the past. One more time, help people out. What is a trailer bill? It's a fix. It's a bill you passed, and you come in and you say, oh, well, we got that wrong, and we got this wrong, so yeah. let's let's run a bill that, that just reprints that whole bill, and you take a pencil and you cross off the things that were bad, and you write in the things that are good, and, and then you fine-tune that. And you need a supermajority to pass a trailer bill. If, if it's, it's effective immediate. immediately. Yes. Yeah. So sure. you may hold off to effect, not to affect. You could avoid the supermajority if you write the bill so it doesn't take effect until next year. Right. Man, I too could be Michael Joseph Madigan. It just takes a little prep, all right? right. Uh, <laughs> you know Madigan knows all this stuff, Rob. He just gets supermajorities, yeah. trailer bills. Uh, he sees it in his sleep. Rob Markwick is my guest state senator from the northwest side of Chicago. Uh, thank you very much, Rob. I appreciate you coming in. Also want to thank Avon Bryan and Frank Perez. They heard earlier in the day. And, of course, Ramana Hussein. we got a busy day today. we got uh, two bonuses to do. And uh, uh, we're, the, the next live one will be at 445 or thereabouts. Yeah, uh, everybody so- Join us live, Facebook Live, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, or the YouTube channel. If you're watching right now, just keep it right here, 445. We'll be doing it. Yeah, Latisa Wallace, uh, Rob Markwick's old friend, will be in the studio with Samina Mustafa. They'll be uh, breaking down the debate, analyzing uh, everything from what Joe Biden said to what Cory Booker said uh, to what Elizabeth Warren said, et cetera. It should be a lot of fun. really looking forward to that. That's so- today? Yeah, we're going to do that in approximately an hour. Latisa Wallace will Letice be... Latisa's the best. She is awesome. I give her all my love. I, I will. She's a great woman. She'll be sitting right where you're sitting, and Fantastic. Sunina will be sitting there as oh, well. Oh, uh, you got to hear this. Uh, did you, you didn't see the Cory Booker Rom moment. Oh, yes. I did you not. To, oh, oh, man, you're going to go. love this. This is, this is Rob your, Martwick. This is your boy. All right, so what happened is uh, Cory Booker was hugging uh, some of the panelists, uh, a lady who's a senator who I can't remember her name offhand, but uh, he, uh, Cory Booker gave her a hug, and then came the moment for Rom to get a hug. Oh, boy. Make sure I got the right one here. All right. Wait. Okay. Nope. It's clip seven. All right, here we go. Senator Booker, how you doing? No hugs for for, 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 <laughs> for the mayor, for Rahm Emanuel. No hugs for Rahm. Nothing. <laughs> Matt Dowd, no love either. It's okay, Matt. <laughs> that was an oversight. <laughs> Senator Booker, I, I'm okay without a hug. You're hug? Yeah, that's fine by me. Even that mayor of solidarity. <laughs> you were the one that said it, so that's fine. Oh, okay. <laughs>
<laughs> nobody likes Rom. Nobody, like nobody likes Rom. I don't want to hug him. Uh, anyway, plenty of hugs here, Rom, when you come on the Ben Jarofsky show. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you very much, Rob Markwick. And Dr. D did an outstanding job, as you always do. And man, this guy was working like crazy today, Rob Markwick. He's getting all those clips ready, and we'll be playing a lot of those clips uh, when Samina and Letisa come in. So, uh, Dr. Okay. D, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Take care, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J. Bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast downloaders. We live stream the show Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel, and now on Facebook. Speaking of, like we said, 445, we're going to be doing a post-debate special with Latisa Wallace and Samina Mustafa. Find out what happened at the debate if you haven't watched it yet. Join us, 445. Senator Booker, how you doing? No hugs for, 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 <laughs> for the mayor, for Rahm Emanuel. No hugs for Rahm. Nothing. <laughs> Matt Dowd, no love either. It's okay, I, I Matt. I should have gotten a hug. That was an oversight. <laughs> Senator Booker, I, I'm okay without a hug. You got a hug? Yeah, that's fine by me. We have that mayor of solidarity. <laughs> you were the one that said it, so that's fine. Oh, okay.